Hello, Gaming Nation, GM Hurley here. Tonight's episode of the 4J Genesis RPG podcast is brought to you by the generous donations of Brian Gresham and all of our other amazing Patreon supporters. If you would like to become part of the Forge community, you can learn more at patreon.com forward slash Forge Genesis. For as little as $2 a month, you can help support us in continuing to provide you with amazing Genesis role-playing game content. Thank you to all of our fans for reblogging, retweeting, sharing our latest episodes, along with those who offer support and encouragement for this podcast. It is truly appreciated by both Chris and myself. For now, however, it's time for another episode of The Forge, a Genesis RPG podcast. Welcome to the Forge. Hello, Camination, and welcome to The Forge, a Genesis RPG podcast covering everything that you need to know about the latest and greatest in Edge Studios' Genesis Foundry and the Genesis role-playing game. I'm your host, GM Hurley, and look at us, <laughs> recording an episode within a reasonable time frame since our last one. Um, <laughs> yeah, but if you take mo- if you take months to edit it, it's not going to be reasonable. You just no. Well, it. No, this is true. This is true. Um, now, this episode we've actually got a wait for it a theme. That's right. Throughout the entire episode, Ooh. we have this single theme where uh, we'll be talking about summoning. Uh, first up in the furnace, we'll be talking about the conjure spell. And how we can apply it during our games and with uh, with other settings in diecasting, we're tackling two talents related to the use of conjure, natural communion, and druid, and uh, how we can turn both of those on their heads with a truly devious and dare I say unholy set of derived talents. And <laughs> la- <laughs> and lastly, as always, we'll be opening up the mailbag to answer a whole heap of games and rules questions in Under the Hammer. But before all of that, let me introduce you to the man who I can guarantee is feeling a little bit better than I am. It's GM Chris. What's up? <laughs> Yo, like, how you doing? Uh, <laughs> I'm supposed to be feeling worse than you, dude. You have to give yeah. me at least a, a little bit yeah. of enthusiasm. <laughs> I'm uh I am okay man. I am okay man. I'm good. I'm good. I'm glad to be podcasting with you. That is the highlight of my week. I'll be perfectly honest. That's awesome. That's awesome. So. But yes. Hmm. So I have currently covid. Hmm. Um yeah. well actually I don't quite know. My partner has covid. She's had it for about a week. We sleep in the same bed. I've been feeling a little bit off color. Chances are I've got it. But I'm all boosted up, so I'm probably only getting a mild dose. So it's all good. I'm just I'm we're we're reaching the endemic stage, which is I mean, where it's 
I hate to make this comparison where it's like the flu. I mean, we have to treat it like that. Yeah. I mean, the flu, the flu is deadly. It kills a lot of people every year. Like, let's not like, like get your flu shots, people. Good God. Um, but, but, you know, it's just, it's one of those things. It's like, it's like, I got my flu shot and my COVID booster. It's going to be every year. And yeah, that's right. And exactly. we'll have to, we'll have to deal with it when the seasons change. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> but anyway, <laughs> so we've got a I big know. show. We, we do. Speaking of the seasons changing. Um, it's been that long, uh, since we've, we've, uh, recorded an episode. We've, we've had a, we've had a full season, depending on where you live, maybe two changed <laughs> since that has happened. Um, and, and I, I am, I am absolutely, uh, thrilled to, to talk about this episode. I, I've been waiting to talk about this for a long time and I really want to get into it, but what do you say we, uh, we start things off properly with a return to form and uh, grab a couple logs and uh, maybe a handful of coal and stoke the fire. Sounds good to me. Stoking the Fire. And welcome to Stoking the Fire, a segment dedicated to letting you learn all there is to know about the releases from the Genesis Foundry and the Genesis role-playing game. But first, Hooli, mm. would you like to tell us about the D20 Radio Podcast of the Week? I certainly would. This episode's podcast of the week gives us even more Genesis, and we can't get enough of that, along with being one of several new podcasts on the network. We are, of course, talking about the Table Flip podcast, a show dedicated to exploring the many worlds and settings available for the Genesis role-playing game system. Each episode, they dive into one of the existing settings released on Edge Studios' Genesis Foundry, uh, each setting exploration uh, sequence includes a an episode for setting uh, the introduction and a discussion, uh, sort of like a session zero, with um, some of the big names in the Genesis community as their hosts, Lindsay, Micah, and Tyler. They even do actual play episodes and an episode interviewing this setting author, which is really great. Uh, released every other week, this is a much listen. And if you go back a few episodes, you can listen to our very own GM, Chris, talk about his familiar setting. And mm. uh, how was that? <laughs> oh, that was fun, man. Well, Mike is a great guy. And, and we, 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 we jawed about it for a while. But it's a very interesting format they've got. I'm, I'm, I'm really intrigued by it. I, I'm loving what they're doing. If you love Genesis and it's one of those things that you're like, wow, there's so much out there in the Foundry. I wonder what setting would intrigue me. You get to listen to an interview with the author and they talk about the setting. Then these folks actually do an actual play of the setting. So you get a taste of it. And they're doing this for every setting in Genesis, every foundry <laughs> setting. Like, like it's amazing. It's a brilliant idea and it, and and they're brilliant and you should listen. Yeah. They've certainly got a lot of material to play with. <laughs> so the- a, sm- a smidge. <laughs> They'll be going a for a while, I think. So, and uh, you can find them and more amazing gaming and geekery podcasts over at d20radio.com. That's right. But don't forget, after you've given this fantastic podcast a listen, make sure you check out the other amazing blog articles that are also over at d20radio.com. Um, just this month, there's been a slew of articles, including a fantastic recent dive into the lands of Magic the Gathering and how you can bring those lands into your fantasy games. Uh, because there's so much amazing lore there. Um, plus, one of our noble and notable staff writers, Ben Erickson, gives us a look at a special sort of goblin for your D&D campaign, 
with the Goblin Chop Doc. It's <laughs> great freaking, great freaking blog article. Um, so be sure to go check it out. Along with other fantastic articles daily at d20radio.com. Mm-hmm. And while surfing the aforementioned interwebs, why not head over to the Genesis Foundry, a drive through RPG, where you can find the latest and greatest Foundry releases for the Genesis RPG. Now, um, a few news articles that have popped up uh, recently. Yeah. Um, it's sort of... For us, it's sort of a little bit long in the tooth, but we haven't touched base on it since uh, we did our last episode. Uh, But the first one is that Edge Studio's announcement regarding their books, which was quite an interesting read. Uh, While this information came out back in September, uh, it's still important to understand that none of the game lines are dead. So if you think, oh, there's nothing coming out for Genesis, you wait. (laughs) That's all I can say. Uh, So, yeah, it's not dead. Far from it, in fact. Uh, The announcement was uh, via an open letter to the community where where they offered an explanation as to why Edge books that were announced some time ago uh, are yet to see the light of day. Now, in essence, they talked about how they have experienced production issues that have been difficult to overcome which includes printing problems, a widespread lack of book paper, uh, and problems with shipping and distribution as well. And all of that is affecting all of their products, including the much-anticipated Twilight Imperium Embers of the Imperium, uh, which um, I don't think I'm telling anything out of school here, but I've seen it, and it's gorgeous. But anyway... (laughs) As a solution, though, they are going to be releasing some of their new releases in PDF format on DriveThruRPG well before you can get a printed copy. And for those that can wait, they will be providing a code to download a PDF version for free when you purchase a printed copy of the book down the track, which is Mm -hmm. absolutely fantastic. And I can confirm they definitely do that because I purchased two of their products, not for Genesis, but I've purchased the uh, Adventures in Rokugan uh, as well as Midnight, and both of them have a code in the book that you just download the PDF. It's great. So, yeah. Um, yeah. Mm. And, dude, I mean, speaking of Twilight Imperium, they haven't left us totally high and dry. Right now, you can download additional encounters and pre-gen PCs for Ashes of Power on the Edge Studio mm. website. Um, we'll put a link in the show notes for that. And honestly, more reprints are starting to now arrive. I mean, they, they announced these reprints well a while ago, and only now <laughs> they're starting to arrive. That's yep. how crazy things have been in mm. the production world. Um, but uh, reprints are starting to arrive around the world for Edge of the Empire, Force and Destiny, um, and Common Universe Star Wars titles, uh, like Dawn of Rebellion, Starships and Speeders, um, and both the Clone Wars era books for the Star Wars RPG. Mm, absolutely. Um, talking about drive through RPG, in recent times, there have been some fantastic releases on the Genesis Foundry. One product in particular, though, uh, has really taken our fancy, namely Awakened Age by Scott Zumwalt. Now, oh, this holy, title, is this is 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 this our is this our is this our product of spotlight of the week? Yes, it certainly is our product spotlight <laughs> of the week. <laughs> Even though it's been out for a little while. Yeah, um, well, that's true. <laughs> but um, in our opinion, it, it really is the best version of a Super's RPG using the Genesis 
system that has been released so far. Now, this is by no means taking away from the amazing work from Lazario Izaguirre and the expansive work by Chris Markham with three supplements released for his Genesis Supers game. But honestly, I feel Waken Age is the one that has been through the playtest process. Uh, it's very well written, uh, formatted with care, and it just presents as a very well-polished product, even more so now that we've seen a bit more art added after its initial release. I, I have to agree. Scott Zumwalt did a truly masterful job with this. And you, know, you talk about the playtesting process. I mean, I was, I was part of editing and proofreading myself. Um, mm-hmm. Scott, Scott was gracious enough to, to include me in some of that. And like, it, I mean, the, the drafts he went through, the mechanical rewrites based on playtesting, like, like mm. so much. He, it is exactly how a released product should function. Mm. You, 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 you come up with your idea, you playtest, playtest, playtest. Well, shit, that didn't work. Um, that needs to change. You go back, you do a new version, you go through, do, 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 do. And then you get more feedback and you update until it is polished to a crisp and beautiful shine <laughs> and and it's a great freaking game like it, awakened age has, has all these trappings that yeah, i would expect from a supers game mm. uh, you know you know powers new talents but it does some really unique things with power levels um and in doing so i mean it serves the superhero genre but beyond that it really provides a template for a gm to design their own stuff um, that the entirety of Genesis presents at its core. It just builds onto that so beautifully. Um, mm. It doesn't give you everything. It gives you just enough. It mm. is, uh, it, it, it's, it's, it's just a very, very good product. Mm. So we can certainly both highly recommend this product to all of you, our listeners. And if you have any questions you'd like us to ask uh, about that particular product, We'll be talking to Scott in our very next episode about Awaken Age. Ooh-ha. Very mm. excited. Very excited. Very excited. Oh. Okay. 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 <laughs> so, so a lot of folks have taken magic and reskinned it as super. Scott did something not quite that for Awakened Age. I love what mm. he did. Mm. Um, very talent based. Um, but. Having said that, Huli, you and I have spent a lot of time on this show talking about magic, talking about using it, talking about reskinning it. Mm. And I think it may be time to continue that conversation, don't you? I would agree. And I think we should do that in The Furnace. The Furnace. And welcome to The Furnace, the segment where we take a deep dive into a topic concerning the Genesis role-playing game. Now, tonight we're going to return, well, sort of, <laughs> to a recurring Furnace segment we did five parts to some time ago, a segment we call Demystifying the Mystical, and it's all about magic. Now, our first five Demystifying the Mystical segments in episodes 8, 10, 12, 14, and 16, I hope you're taking notes, uh, were very based on your feedback. Um, they were very popular, and basically, you've been asking for more. Indeed. But you see, those those episodes were really focused on tinkering with magic in, in some interesting ways. And, and while we did devote time to simply understanding the magic system and how it works, 
We did spend the lion's share of those episodes talking about how you could reskin magic or tinker with it to create new spells, new effects, or entirely different power systems strung around the core framework of magic and Genesis. Mm. But to really do a reskin <laughs> or a modification of anything, you have got to understand the core mechanics very, very, very well. Mm. All the ins and outs and the fine details. And to that end, and just for pure vanilla play education, you fine <laughs> listeners have been asking us to take a deeper dive into the rules as written spells found in both the core rulebook and in the expanded player's guide. Yeah. And to that end, we're going to be expanding our Demystifying the Mystical Furnace segment to include deep dives into each officially published spell. We'll walk you through it and all of its options, discuss the challenges and the pitfalls, both mechanically and narratively, and even dive into ways you can interpret, modify, or potentially even create new content around the spell itself. And as we begin this journey, we're, we're going to start with a spell highly requested by all of you, including myself, um, one that is frequently misinterpreted, underutilized, overstretched, and can cause a lot of confusion at the table. We're going to walk you through how to properly use it, but also how to properly GM it. We're talking about a staple spell here, folks. Whether you be a classical wizard, a dastardly necromancer, or a powerful <laughs> druid. A spell that lets you summon objects and creatures to do your bidding. We are, of course, talking about the Conjure spell. Mm. So prepare your arcane tomes, boys and girls, as you summon astral beings and elemental servants to do your bidding. Whisper to the winds of the forest and its wild creatures to come to your aid and feel the dark energy of reanimated and necrotized minions at your fingertips. <laughs> as we summon up our own detailed knowledge on Conjure this episode. I really feel like I'm, I need to be hearing Jewel of the Fates right now, but... Um... <laughs> <laughs> Potato! Cola! <laughs> anyway. <laughs> uh, dear. All right. Boilerplates. We like them. We love them. <laughs> Let's talk about it. Boilerplate us, man. All right. So tonight, we will not be discussing the core rules of how a spell works. Why? Because basically, we've done that. Now, if you have any confusion on how the core mechanics of magic works, please, 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 please go and listen or re-listen, as the case may be, to episode eight, where we dive into all of that and more. There's no use in repeating it. And we're going to proceed assuming that you know what we're talking about. Uh, half the time, I don't. Uh, <laughs> tonight, we're going to reference all of that pursuant to the Conjure spell. Indeed. So let's talk about the, the, the spell itself. Yeah, yeah. Some basics. So <clears throat> the Conjure spell itself is found in the core rulebook for Genesis, page 212. Uh, for narrative use, and page 216 for structured encounter use. It has two skills that can activate it, Arcana and Primal. That's it. No Divine, no Runes, no Verse. Arcana and Primal. That is it. Hmm. Summoning things, basically, if you get into fantasy lore, is typically the provenance of the Wizard and the Druid, basically. Yeah. And 
as we go through this, don't fret divine spellcasters. And yes, I'm looking at you clerics who can cast spiritual weapon, animate dead, guardian of faith, insect plague, create undead, planner ally, conjure celestial, and gate. All great spells. But these spells are well within the realm of conjure, but alas, talents are where we're going to have to look for the ability to cast them, since all of those summoning spells have a very religious bent to them. And we'll talk more about that as we go. So what does it do? Yeah, well, that, that's the next thing. T- talk to me. You, you basically said it in a nutshell, but what, what does conjuration do? So conjuration magic allows you to summon allies and create items out of the raw stuff of magic, star stuff, whatever um, is uh, it's going to be the case in your setting. Um, now, who uses it though? Well, this is an interesting question. I mean, and, and I, no, that's not so much an issue of obviously whoever has access to arcane, arcana, and primal. Yeah. But you know, the really when we talk about the character tropes that are commonly going to conjure, um, mm. it's going to be the tropes of the wizard and the druid making sense but yep. we honestly think we can break it out a bit more um and really honestly do so by setting um the most obvious one that i want to bring up is it's fantasy tropes okay mm-hmm. um if you're if you're playing a fantasy game in genesis obviously there's the wizard that trope okay mm-hmm. the the classical mage ability to not only summon extra planar allies but also objects um mm-hmm. conjuring a tool a weapon a door to block an entrance um you can't also have this conversation about summoning tropes Without talking about my personal favorite, the necromancer, <laughs> um, the und- undead minions, baby. <laughs> I mean, the ability to 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 call forth the the undead creatures, um, and then of course, from a fantasy trope standpoint, uh, the last thing of note probably is really the druid. Um, you know, uh, calling forth beasts of the wild to fight alongside you, um, but also altering terrain. Uh, the idea of, of of summoning, if you want to call it that, you know, plants to grow, um, you know, for for difficult terrain or to entangle mm-hmm. enemies. That this is this is also another realm of conjure. Um, yeah, but I mean, so fantasy is kind of where it first goes. But there's other settings to think about this in. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so we've got um, uh, maybe a steampunk or uh, a weird war setting. Uh, yeah. where we've got things like the occultist, who can be basically summoning extraplanar elder things beyond comprehension or straight-up demonology, which is a trope you can also apply to the fantasy setting too. True, um, true. You've then got uh, the artisifer. Um, where... You mean, you mean the art- do you mean the artificer? Uh, oh, that's what... Yeah, whatever. <laughs> It's so unlike me to not be able to pronounce things. Um, the artisipa... I can't say that word. What is wrong with me? Anyway. Okay, so say, say, say this word. Artifice. Artifice. Add an Artificer. R to that. Artifice. Artifice. No. <laughs> oh, look at me. <laughs> artifice. <laughs> I've made it uh, What is he? He's an artifice. <laughs> Do you uh, need an artificer? Yeah. That's what I <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to put it down to uh, the accent, but not really. Um, so, moving along. Uh, so, yes, let's not forget the them. Um, <laughs> if you're using magic in a steampunk or even a weird war setting, there's the trope of the... Uh, mad scientist. Just Thank say, you. Was, <laughs> yeah. 
<laughs> the mad scientists are all calling machines to uh, machine allies to to help along the way. Uh, now, we're not saying your your role or your trope limits what conjure can be used for uh, with your character. Mechanically, any aspect of conjure can be used for any character with access to either arcane or primal. But what we are saying is this, and that brings us to rule of thumb number one, which is the GM and player should work to keep conjure on theme for the character. Yeah. This really comes down to how the ever-powerful and versatile conjure spell should be used. And we're going to be returning to this again and again. Keep it on theme. Does it make sense for your druid character to summon demons or astral constructs? No. (laughs) How about swords or cannonballs? No. No. How about a pair of wolves from the wild? Yes. Yes. How about a thicket of thorns to block a foe's escape? Most certainly, yes. Most certainly, yes. Does it make sense for your necromancer to summon a dire falcon to peck the eyes out of enemies? No. No. A a, a fire elemental to burn your foes? Not not really. No. Mm -mm. But a cadre of skeletons that claw their way out of the dirt? Yes. Mm-hmm. A malevolent shade that, that rips through your enemy's souls. Yes. Yeah. So all we're saying, guys, is keep it on theme. The GM, and, and this is actually said in the Conjure spell specifically, we can start getting into the various things that have been written about it, not only in the core book under the spell description, but even when we talk about the various talents that we'll come to later that apply to this. The mm-hmm. GM is well within their rights for the purposes of setting and story to limit what and how you can summon things. I don't want to dive into that right now. We will be getting into more detail on that in a bit. Hmm. Um, for now, though, dude, let, let's continue to talk about the power itself. Talk to me. I mean, because there's there's basically two methods of of operation, as with all spells, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, structured and narrative use. Yeah. So I think what we should probably start at is with structured encounter use. So even though narrative use appears before structured encounter use in the core rules, uh, for this purpose of, of the discussion, we're going to start with structured use because understanding that and its pitfalls is critical to being able to accurately set difficulties and concepts for narrative use. So what can we do with conjure? So the basic conjure spell, as we said before, it uses arcana or primal. You can concentrate on it. And the ability reads something like, make an easy arcana or primal check. With success, you immediately summon a simple tool with no moving parts like a shovel or a pickaxe, a one-handed melee weapon with no moving parts like a sword or a knife, or a minion no bigger than Silhouette 1, such as an animal, magic creature, elemental spirit, or undead monstrosity. What you summon, however, appears engaged with you and remains until the end of your next turn, unless you extend that with concentration, of course. If you summon a creature, it behaves in the best approximation of its natural instincts, as determined by the GM. It's not controlled by you and may even be hostile towards you. In a structured encounter, the summoned entity takes its turn immediately 
after you do. So Conjure as a pretty basic ability is, well, pretty basic. (laughs) And there's a reason for that. And it should be anything but easy to manifest a butter knife in your hand or a creature you can't control. In fact, fiction is replenished with tropes of amateur summoners who summon things they did not control and the consequences of that. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. It's like it, 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 may, it may seem like, wow, that's only easy, but it's easy for a reason. I mean, we're talking about a, a one-handed tool or, yeah. or a single silhouette zero or one minion who is most likely going to want to kill you. Do not control it. It's correct. And you're, and, and you're going to pop it up right next to you. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, yeah. Now, with that, though, things get a little hmm. more interesting. Yeah. Um, with the conjure additional effects, yeah. um, look, looking at the the menu, so to speak, this is this is where you can start to have fun and really start to build those those conjuring and summoning spells we know from lore. Okay, yeah. yeah. Um, the first uh, effect is called additional summon. It's it's a plus one difficulty. Uh, the spell summons one additional item, weapon, or creature. Um, hmm. That's 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 what this does. Um, in addition. After casting the spell, you can spend two advantage to summon one additional item, weapon, or creature. And you can trigger that multiple times, spending <laughs> two advantage each time. So if I, if I, to put that in context, if I increase my difficulty by one, so I'm now looking at a two purple difficulty mm-hmm. for additional summon, I will, and I want to summon a, summon a creature, I will summon two minions. Mm-hmm. If I roll two advantage, I can spend that to make that three minions. Mm-hmm. If I roll four advantage, I could spend that to make it four minions <laughs> and as we'll come to when we get to the summon ally effect because of the fact that you can literally control what these creatures do under the right circumstances that can form up into a very very deadly minion group mm-hmm. but um uh you know f- four minion groups are not fun um <laughs> under under any circumstances um but anyway that's additional summon what's next so the next one is medium summon. And again, it's just a plus one difficulty. Uh, the character may summon a more complicated tool with moving parts, a rival no larger than silhouette one, uh, or a two-handed melee weapon. So I, I think the one thing that you can take away from that is that, that it's a rival no larger than silhouette one. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And before we get to it, guys, there is no way per rules is written, and frankly, I don't think there should be, to summon a nemesis. No. No. Yeah. Um, After medium summon, we have range, pretty standard for most spells, uh, plus Mm -hmm. one difficulty. Mm -hmm. Um, You can add this multiple times, increasing the range band by one each time. Mm -hmm. But it increases the range of the spell, um, the distance from the character that the summoned item or creature appears. Um, you know, obviously, as as Huli went through, the basic spell ability, whatever your summoning appears, engage with you. You apply one of these, it will appear at short range from you. Two of these, medium range. Three of these, long range. And so on, and so forth, and so on, and so forth. Because you may not want that rat swarm to be uh, right next to you <laughs> when you can't control it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And you may be asking yourself, well... You know what? I don't want to get ahead of myself. Talk, talk to me about the next one because let, let's let's let, let's let the next 
the next additional effect engender that conversation? What's our next yeah. additional effect? So the next additional effect is summon ally, which again is only a plus one difficulty. Uh, the creature the character summons is friendly to them and obeys their commands. The character may spend a maneuver to direct the creature, allowing them to determine its action and maneuver. If a character summons multiple creatures, the character may spend one maneuver on their turn to direct the turns of all summoned creatures, which is really quite interesting. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Why you would not do this always? (laughs) Oh, there's a reason. There's a reason. Um. (laughs) Um, and and it, I, I'm jumping I'm jumping a bit a, a bit ahead in the show notes. Like it go, okay, it goes without saying. Summon ally. You might say, oh, yeah, this is a must, right? Right. Unless you just unless you just want to create bedlam that may impact your allies as well as your enemies. <laughs> like, why would you do that? <laughs> I will say this. Additional, like like okay, three purple is typically a, a you know for, a, when you're when you're under a hundred earned XP, three purple on a a check is typically where people start to sweat. Okay. Yeah. yeah. It's it's like it's like I don't want to go above that. Okay. Mm-hmm. So let's just say I throw an additional summon on here for plus one difficulty, and mm-hmm. I throw a range upgrade on here for plus one difficulty. Mm-hmm. Now I'm at three difficulty. Okay. Mm-hmm. I'm at I'm at I'm at a hard check. Mm-hmm. Um, but I choose not to add summon ally. Well, yeah, that literally I could summon a mob in the middle of a cluster of enemies. Mm. While my party is good, I don't care that I don't control them. It, depending <laughs> on what I summon, if they behave per their natural instincts, they're going to attack anything potentially that's around them. And if that <laughs> happens to be the enemies I've summoned them like next to, yay! Mm. <laughs> All right, I've got a range band between me and them. Hmm. <laughs> I mean, I don't know. It's one of those like we are leaving spells, you know? Like <clears throat> you know, they're chasing us. Like bam! Like oh god! And now they're attacking and fighting that, and we can get the heck out of dodge. Yeah. That's that's like th- there are times you can do you can avoid summon ally. There are times. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. There are times. Uh, but what about the last uh, additional effect? So the last additional effect is the big one, and it's grand summon. Now this is plus two difficulty. Uh, the character may summon a rival of up to silhouette three, which is huge. <laughs> In DD terms, it is. Um, so, so yeah. So you're looking at something like, geez, the size of a starfighter, um, a demon, um, something like that. A big That's huge. Demon. A yeah, big it's demon. Huge. A big demon. Um, so this is the effects. So another interesting thing about the conjures additional effect list. Hmm. None of them. None of them utilize a secondary skill um like attack augment barrier curse they all have additional effects that are augmented by ranks in a secondary skill like knowledge okay Mm. yep um but not conjure Mm. it has no modification to its special abilities at all based on secondary skills that that makes it a very intriguing um spell um in terms of xp economy um, and effectiveness. And I think I understand why they probably did it that way in design too, because mm-hmm. when you consider that this is a staple for a druidic character, mm-hmm. interestingly, despite the fact that they're a caster, a druidic character also typically bears the mantle of being a skillful character, yeah. um, especially uh, because, because they're typically going to have a high cunning score. 
Mm. Um, so, so the ability to survival, perception, things like that are, are very, very common for a druidic character. So I can, I can understand why. Yeah. Yeah. Now that we basically understand the effects and related difficulties of, of structured encounter use, we can have a meaningful conversation around narrative use. Because even the core rulebook tells you to reference the structured difficulties to gauge narrative difficulties. And you'll need to, because also related uh, in the core rulebook, Conjure is one of the most loosely defined rule sets because of the sheer number of items or creatures that you could summon or create. Um, because theoretically, you could attempt to conjure almost anything up to Silhouette 3, at least. Yeah. Monsters and, and minions, sure, and that that is a level of complexity we'll, we'll talk about a little bit later on. Uh, but also objects, weapons, tools, um, a hut, a wall, uh, a door, a wagon. Um, what about a disguise? Maybe? What about a... <laughs> what about a wall of fire? You know, a pool of acid, a, a, a slick of oil. Um, you know, uh, the the real confusion around the real confusion around conjure is about how far you can take it. And the best advice that we can give is our rule of thumb number two, yep. which if conjure pushes up against another spell's effects. That's okay, as long as it's not better than the other spell's core capability. Yeah, and and that that's that's the real watchword. Like it, a wall fire, a pool of acid and oil slick, absolutely with restrictions. <laughs> yeah. And we're going to dive into that. Like a disguise, uh, maybe, but it's not going to be better than what you're going to get off the mask spell, mm, right? Right. Um, like like that 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 really is the rule of thumb. Because with a spell this versatile, it is going to push up against other spell effects. Hmm. And as Huli said, it's okay. As long as it's not better than the other spell's core capability. Secondary capabilities, you got some more leeway, but we'll talk about that specifically. <laughs> um, and honestly, Huli, in some cases, better than the other spell's core capability actually means approaching it in any way. Don't do. <laughs> okay, there's, 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 there's some spells that, that, that you are... like. As a GM, I will never allow Conjure to approximate in any way, shape, or form. Um, anything that pushes up against uh, Augment, uh, mm. Dispel, or Heal specifically. Um, mm. there, is, there is no precedent um, or, or, or meaningful need to Conjure anything that would even remotely replicate or push up against the capabilities of, of the spells Augment, Dispel, or Heal. Um, but, but again, we're, we'll, 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 we'll come to that. <laughs> um, I, do, can I just call an audible for a minute? Please. One of the things that that I've thought about is conjuring like um, a, a, a healing potion, um, conjuring nope. um, stuff like that, uh, a med pack, a medicine kit, stuff like that. That is bordering on heal, isn't it? it it's not bordering. It is. Um, yeah. and, and, and the short answer is no. And additionally, mm. one of the reasons that we have to look at the structured encounter use for narrative encounter stuff is mm. even what you just described is way too complex. 
Mm. I mean, we're talking about an extra difficulty die just to get to, to summon something with moving parts. <laughs> and, 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 okay, well, no, let, let's, let's summon, let's summon an entire bag filled with bandages and medicine. And it's like, no, no, absolutely not. Absolutely no. not. Let's summon a potion, something that, that under normal circumstances is, is an alchemical brew that took <laughs> hours to create and is a mixture of volatile chemicals and mixed in exactly the right proportion. No, no, that is no. well beyond the range of Conjure. Um, no. uh, the, the most complex things Conjure can summon. Are creatures yeah okay no. and 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 it's because you're not making it out of stuff you know i, I mean the only exception might be like if you make like an astral construct but even mm. then as we'll come to our recommendations are that you intentionally make it stupidly dumb and simple looking right? Mm. Um, right and there's actually stat blocks you can use for that mm. uh but but ultimately huli and <clears throat> t- talk talk through this with me because because you what what our listeners need to think about here is is the effect of what they've conjured when they're using mm. conjure in a narrative sense. Uh, and, and again, narrative, narrative use can be in an encounter too. Okay. Um, mm. If you say you want to do something unusual. So what is the mechanical effect of the spell going to be? That is the mm. question you must always ask yourself both player and GM. And for the narrative effects of conjure, the things that fall in its purview, there is really only a handful of potential categories of narrative effect or like, like narrative use with a mechanical effect mm. um, that, that you can think of that really fall mm. into this purview. Some of them are great. Uh, some of them are tricky. Some of them are a hard no. Um, <laughs> so let's, let's, let's walk through these. Hit me up, man. What, what's our first big effect category that when, when a player thinks about doing something unusual with conjure and they think, mm. okay, what is the mechanical effect? I want this to accomplish. What's the first category we're going to look at? Yeah. So the first category we're going to look at is obstacles, concealment, and cover. Yeah. Now, this is basically classic conjuration, you know, putting a door in an entranceway, uh, raising up a, a low wall to provide cover for some allies, summoning a mist to make it hard to see. You know, yes, these things may have difficulties to break them down, but that's not what, what we're really talking about. The immediate effect is limiting visibility, blocking free movement, providing concealment or cover. So we're talking about setback dice on perception and combat checks. Basically. Um, Can the barrier spell create obstacles? Sure. But they have much stronger effects than adding a simple setback die. So, yeah, barrier could do this too, but... Like, like that's it. Your effect is, yeah, this is the effect, but we're just like, it's like, yeah, it's a setback die. Mm. Whereas mm. barriers, like, it's going to reduce damage, son, which is a <laughs> lot, you know. So, what's our next one, though? Um, next is very similar, but different effect when you're thinking about the core effect. This is terrain and movement. Mm. Um, again, more classic conjuration. Um, growing brambles or vines at an opponent's feet to slow them down. Summoning an oil slick beneath them to make them stumble or, or trip them up, um, even mm. a sheet of ice. Okay, mm. um, the immediate effect in this case, core is creating difficult terrain. Right. Could the curse spell be used to do these things narratively? Yes, narratively it actually can. Mm. Um, but curse effects are going to be much stronger than simply making difficult terrain. They're mm-hmm. going to be 
increasing difficulties of checks these people make if it's a curse <laughs> spell genuinely mm. okay mm. so so like like it is much 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 stronger mm. um incidentally the attack spell and we'll come to this later the attack spell um with the ice additional effect um can actually add ensnare to the target too um mm. and you know that is also something as we'll talk about you could do with conjure um, but that's not really brushing up on a, on attack because it's not the core purpose of attack. The core purpose of attack is dealing damage. Yeah. 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 What's next? So the next one um, is utility object creation. So you're not looking for a mechanical effect, but a tool to accomplish something. Um, you know, right tool for the job. Uh, we need a wagon and we need it now. Um, uh, we need a weapon now. The structured rules call out summoning tools and items of up to silhouette three, even those with moving parts. So just apply that normally. So if yeah. you do need that wagon um, to move your stuff from point A to point B, your wizard or or, um, uh, or druid is basically going to be concentrating a lot because you're going to be only having it for you know, one round or, or one scene or whatever. Like, okay, the goblin, the the goblin horde is attacking. Okay, mm. half the party is injured or unconscious. How about that? And yeah. can't walk. Mm. And we have one horse. <laughs> okay. The, the well, <laughs> I'm going to summon a wagon. All right, mm-hmm. and yeah, mm-hmm. I'm going to spend a maneuver while I sit in the back with my unconscious buddies, concentrating each round while. The other surviving party members hitch it up to the horse, pile the unconscious friends we have in there, and we get the heck out of Dodge. Okay. <laughs> mm-hmm. There's 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 myriad uses for that. Myriad. Mm-hmm. So <clears throat> now the other one to talk about next to last major category of narrative use is using a conjure spell to deal damage. Mm. Now, I'm talking about direct damage, not summoning a sword, and then you can use the sword to deal damage. <laughs> okay. I'm talking about, like, and we've, we've, you've, you've seen these questions asked. Can I summon yeah. a wall of fire? Right. And can that wall of fire burn my enemies? Okay. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, can, I, can, I make, can I make not just vines or brambles grow, but thorny brambles that literally puncture the, the, the legs of my enemies? Um, the, the difficult terrain I just created, it's not an oil slick. It's, it's a bed of caltrops that are going to puncture their shoes and deal damage to them as they walk. Can I conjure that? Can I summon it? And again, <clears throat> if you're brushing up against another spell's purview, in this case, that would be the purview of attack as a spell. Mm-hmm. It, 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 it's, it's okay, but you really have to tone down the effect hard. Okay. Mm-hmm. It can never overshadow really frankly even come close to what the the similar spell could do on its own um and so it, it gets tricky um <clears throat> and, and what matters here is that no matter what when you're doing a conjuration spell the primary effect you accomplish cannot mm. be dealing damage that is the purview of attack so you want to summon a wall of fire great its primary effect is not that it sets people on fire its primary effect is that it provides concealment Okay, because because it, it's a giant wall of fire. Mm-hmm. Um, <clears throat> the bramble bush that you summon with thorns, its primary effect is that it is 
creating difficult terrain. All right. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, the and as I keep saying, the attack spell is used to deal damage. Yes. So any conjuration spell that also deals damage as like its secondary effect, it should be far, far less potent. And we're going to talk about how you can build this and actually make diff- put, put difficulties for it coming up. Um, but I'll, I'll say it now. When you're talking about having a conjure spell, something you've summoned that deals damage as a secondary aspect, at most, at most, that damage should not exceed the character's casting characteristic. Mm-hmm. Intellect for Arcana and Cunning for Primal. Okay. When you look at something like the attack spell, you don't, you take the casting characteristic plus, typically, your ranks in the skill mm-hmm. plus, typically, an implement. Okay. Mm. We're not even going to go close to that. It's it's like, <laughs> guess what? I mean, like, like for most characters, this is going to be a three or a four damage max. If you're if you're if you're if you're cunning or your your intellect is is insane, maybe five, okay. Mm. But it will never get stronger than that ever. It's not the primary purpose of the conjuration spell. It's just a little thing you add on, and mm. we'll, we'll 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 come back to this when we talk about costing. But. Yeah. So I'm I'm gonna um, call out another audible here. Hit, hit me up, man. When, I know when, I, I, <laughs> I know you and magic, and I know this is more of a conversation than anything else. So so hit me up with these questions. Ask him. So when we start talking about summoning things with, uh, like you, your basic summon, that's going to be like a a sword or or something yeah. small. But then when we start talking about things with moving parts, I'm going to be a bit of a power gamer here for a moment. Firearms. How does that work? Because the it's still the yeah. secondary. The secondary effect is the damage because you're still going to be needing to no well you know, okay but that's no see see that that's that's structured encounter use versus narrative hmm. like like when i talk about secondary effect is damage i'm talking about like i'm i'm creating cover or concealment or difficult terrain mm-hmm. and it just happens to maybe deal damage or do something else with it yeah you're talking about summoning an actual object that like a yeah. sword that you can yeah. then do damage with okay yeah. right I, I personally, when I run Conjure, do not allow firearms to be summoned, but that's mm-hmm. also because I don't allow alchemical items to be summoned, okay? Right. The, mm-hmm. this is, it's, it's, like, it's like, yeah, congratulations. Okay, you know what? Maybe I might let you summon a gun, but you're not going to get powder and bullets to go with it. <laughs> so congratulations, you have a very heavy and, 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 and impromptu club. It's, it's, like, it's like, you know, the, the chemical composition of, of, of black powder is mm. if, if I'm not going to allow you to summon a healing potion or alchemist fire, you're not summoning black powder. Okay. Right. Yeah. Um, that, that's, that's, that, that's where I draw the line. Mm. Okay. Yep. Um, now having said that, I don't draw the line. Like, like if you, if you want to summon a bow, okay. Or mm-hmm. crossbow. Mm-hmm. Okay. Two handed weapon, moving parts. Okay. Yep. Mm-hmm. I'm fine with that. Mm-hmm. You know, but anyway, that's that's just my my mm, no, my, that, my, my opinion on the matter. That's how I would handle it as well. But um, that question gets asked a, a a little bit when we're talking about conjure, um, because of well, it's a, you know it's only a pistol and it only does five points of damage, so it kind of fits into sort of a little bit of that realm of what we're talking about. But it's still, I I think because it doesn't have the ammunition. That it is just like one big paperweight, effectively. I mean, effectively, effectively, yes. Um, I mean, 
I, I, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not going to sweat it if I have a player throw an absolute fit about it and they want to summon a handgun. <laughs> like I'm, pro- I'm probably not going to sweat it too much, but it's one of those things that if you establish a rule and you say, look, no alchemical stuff. Hmm. I guess it goes down to being able to negotiate with your players um, of what is within theme and within the realm of, of what conjure is. Yeah, but also, but by the same token, if you're using if you're using conjure to summon weapons, yeah, right. what are you what are, what are you even doing? <laughs> True. Well, there are superheroes that do that. I think it's the weirdest power in the world, but um, there are there are superheroes that basically summon weapons. It's bizarre, but it's there. But anyway, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'll, 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 let me let me summon a weapon, or let me summon. For 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 the same difficulty that it's going to cost me to summon a black powder pistol that deals five damage, I'd much rather summon a rival under my control that I guarantee you <laughs> is going to do a heck of a lot more than five points of damage on a turn. True. Just throw like like this thing. What are you What are you even doing? At that point? I, I I I don't know. The 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 only the only value of summoning weaponry is to arm your fellows. That's right. really that, that's really it, and yeah. and then you get into like like multiple summon, and it's like oh yeah, I got three swords, and I'm concentrating to keep them all, and you know like okay, okay, I'm down, okay, but these are not these are these edge case scenarios are not things you design rule systems around. No, true, true. So uh, yeah. Mm. Anyway, okay. Thought of, last, thought of last, <laughs> yeah. Last narrative effect category, and we've already talked about it a bit. I'm going to let you drive it home because you asked right. about it. Initially. Absolutely. So uh, our last category is magic items, healing, dispelling, and augmenting. In a word, as Chris has said quite unequivocally, no. <laughs> if you want to conjure items of a magical nature, alchemical or magical potions for healing or augmentation, that's just not in the purview of conjure. At that point, you should be relying on the spells themselves. Any replication of heal, dispel, or augment is not cool with conjure. Hard stop. That's it. End of story. And there's there's no precedent for this. No. There's no precedent. Even if you go into the crunchiest of D20 systems, a wizard summoning an object it, it, like magical items, nope, not allowed. Okay, mm. Mm. Uh, you know, yeah, it's just nope, nope, just nope. Mm. And if you're the sort of person that thinks, well, you know what, I'm going to summon a genie. Every genie that I've seen in any other rule books, specifically Terranoth, is a nemesis. It's yeah. not a rival. <laughs> so, yes, but anyway. So yes. So okay, we got down now understanding structured encounter usage, yep. narrative encounter usage. Hmm. But narrative encounter usage isn't done. We have to now do the hard part <laughs> of <laughs> of narrative difficulty. Hmm. Um how wholly do we determine the narrative difficulty of a conjure spell? Hmm. So basically we start at easy difficulty, pretty simple. And we add on from there. Uh. Next thing we work out is what's the range? Where is this thing going to be summoned in relation to the caster? Like I'm summoning my wall. Like you're summoning your wall of flame. Okay. Yeah. You're sure. you're 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 summoning the brambles. Mm. Where? So right? if you want it engaged with you, there's no increase. 
and then you've got plus one difficulty for each range band away from you. Basically, and guys, just as we said, take your cues from the structured encounter difficulties. Hmm. So, start it easy. What's the range? Then we ask ourselves what? We say, how big is it? Uh, how large is the thing being summoned uh, from a silhouette standpoint? Zero to one, no increase. Silhouette three, it's going to be a plus two difficulty. But but what about? Mm. What about? Mm. Silhouette I'm, I'm, two? Yeah, I'm putting, I'm putting on the whiny player voice. <laughs> so the structured rules say it's a plus two for anything above silhouette one up to three. But yeah. honestly, you could get away with saying only a plus one difficulty uh, for uh, for the increase to, of four silhouette two, as long as it's not a creature. Yeah. So if you suddenly wanted to summon a log that you could pick up and hurl at someone, sure. You know, as long as it's silhouette two. Silhouette three, if it was like a whole tree, that's eh, a different story. <laughs> Yeah, and where, where I see this come to fruition in my own play is is with area of effects for difficult terrain mm. and objects like walls, okay? Walls of fire, stone walls. It's like, again, silhouette's a very tricky concept. It's not just a, a, a jumble of stuff. When you mm. take that wall and spread it out across a range brand, what's the silhouette going to be if it's like a half wall, right? Mm. You got to do a little bit of mental gymnastic there. You know, mm. um, you know a silhouette two should cover, you know, so at two or three should cover everything in a short range band. Okay. Mm -hmm. Depending on what it is. So if I want to summon an oil slick, how big is it basically, Mm -hmm. you know, at silhouette zero or one, it's going to be a tiny slick that's really underneath an individual. Yep. So that's where that question really does come into play. But Mm -hmm. again, those same difficulty increases you apply for creatures, just apply here. But mm. if it's an object, you, you can probably get away with just a plus one for a silhouette too. Yeah, I would agree. Mm. I would agree. Mm. So, okay. We started easy difficulty. We ask what mm. the range is. We ask how big is it. Then what? Then we ask what the core effect is. So, we're asking that from a mechanical point of, of view, I guess. Um, so, what is the principal effect? So, if it's an obstacle, concealment, or cover, we're going to be giving it plus one difficulty per setback die added to other checks. Difficult yeah. terrain, no increase. Yeah, no increase. Utility object creation, use the structured encounter rules. Outside of size and range, we talked about that a few seconds ago, uh, the only increase that may apply is if it has moving parts, which is a plus one difficulty. Yeah. But the next question we've got to ask, though, now that we've determined that it's easy, we've worked out the range, we know how big it is, we know what the core effect of that is going to be, does it have a secondary effect? So do you want it to deal a little bit of damage, physically ensnares foes, you know, and, and this really is where it's going to get a little bit fun. Yeah. With this... The first secondary effect we already alluded to is dealing damage. Mm. And again, that should never be more than your characteristic. Okay. Um, And it should honestly add a plus one, maybe a plus two difficulty, uh, depending. You can look at some of the other effects uh, from other spells for this. Mm -hmm. The other secondary effects you can have, there are two specifically I I would recommend for 
conjure spells that you, that your players are frequently going to want to say, yeah, it does this. Um, <laughs> um, you know, I, I want my, I, w- I want to summon brambles and yeah, that's difficult terrain, but I also want those brambles or vines to wrap around their legs and actually ensnare them like the actual ensnare effect. Okay. No. <laughs> you know, like cannot move. I, I want to create a wall of fire and yeah, that primary effect is concealment. Okay. Yeah. Uh, one setback die. Okay. Mm. But I want it to actually have the burn quality. Mm. Okay. <laughs> if somebody touches it, like I want, the, I want it to actually have the burn quality mm. in addition to the concealment it grants. Interestingly, there are spell effects already there for this in the attack spell, and you can actually use their difficulties to mm-hmm. add difficulty to conjure for similar effects. Specifically, yeah. I'm referring to the fire effect and the ice effect from the attack additional effects. Mm-hmm. Um, both of those add a plus one difficulty, and both still require two advantage to activate mm. um, if you make the check, which I would still do on the conjure spell. Mm-hmm. Okay. Mm-hmm. Since no other conjure additional effects use knowledge ranks, I wouldn't require it here if you pulled in fire and ice, respectively. Um, you know, or just you know, it's it's burn and ensnare. Okay, yeah. In terms yeah. of, of how many ranks of burn or ranks of ensnare the, the additional mm-hmm. the effect has, um, I wouldn't do it here either. Um, since there's nothing else that uses knowledge. Uh, again, this is one of those things you could probably use the casting characteristic in a pinch um, to get those quality ranks for both burn and ensnare. Okay, mm-hmm. so if I'm an arcane uh, caster, I've got an intellect of four, and I pull off ensnare, it's going to be ensnare four, okay, mm-hmm. um, or burn four if I if I've given it that. Mm-hmm. Honestly, though, burn and ensnare, Huli, those are like the only ones I would allow. Mm-hmm. You know, when I look at the other spells, barriers, additional effects are very unique to barrier, mm-hmm. and I don't want conjure to approach it that hard. Same's true for curse, um, and the other attack effects really don't make sense for conjure. Um, and all the other spells, as I've already said, that's a hard no. Mm. So, so okay, talk to me, talk to me about this. Let, let's let's I'll tell you, this is a role playing <laughs> podcast, right? <laughs> let's role play, okay? Oh my god! Let, let, let's go through. Let's go through a narrative spell example of conjure for narrative use. You want to do something as a player that is not covered under the structural encounter rules, okay? Mm-hmm. It's 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 out there. Hit me up with some things, man. I'll be your GM. We'll walk through together how to how, how to cast the difficulty out. All right. So, what I think my character would want to do, um, because I'm a bit like you, I like the whole necromancy sort of um, feel to everything. I want to uh, summon some flaming skeletons, and they are armed with weapons. I would say that it's not a narrative use of the spell. That is a structured encounter use. You're wanting to summon a minion. I would recommend that you find for me a published minion stat block of a flaming skeleton wielding weapons, and you can summon it. Well, that was easy. <laughs> Don't overcomplicate this stuff. When you start sure. getting into examples like that, it's like, mm-hmm. no, no. Do not let your player overcomplicate this for you. It's like, it's, it's like, uh, well, there is no stat block for that. Okay. Maybe in between this session and next, we can create one together that's the appropriate power level. Hmm. And we'll, we'll 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 get to something like that in a bit. G- g- give me another one, man. Give me give me a give me a narrative use. Something not structured. You want to create uh-huh. a thing, not a creature, but a thing. Right. Um, I want to create a hut that has um, a large number of rooms inside, a TARDIS of sorts that uh, people can spend the night in with um, without too much trouble. You're not making this easy, Huli. I wouldn't say that's covered <laughs> under the purview of the spell for several reasons. 
it's entirely possible we could make a Silhouette 3 hut. Um, mm-hmm. And Silhouette 3 could potentially have a number of rudimentary rooms inside of it. Mm-hmm. If I... Okay, so that alone is going to be a three difficulty because it's 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 easy plus two for basically the equivalent of Grand Summon getting to Silhouette three. Yep. Um, and then another plus one. Oh, wait, does Grand Summon cover moving parts? I don't think it does. Mm. So another plus one for moving parts. Right. Uh, so really, we're already looking at a four difficulty there. Mm. So you could certainly do that, and yeah, I might let it have some doors uh, for moving parts narratively if you rolled some advantage maybe i might give you a locker three the problem is that gorgeous hut that your party beds down and is going to disappear the moment you fall asleep <laughs> because this spell requires concentration correct right, right. <laughs> that's a problem <laughs> that's a problem unless i'm staying up all night unless you're staying up all night and that's going to be a you know exhaustion is real mm. <laughs> Exha- exhaustion is real some of the more interesting ones I've seen uh, as I've been running this have been, we've gone through a few of them. Um, the idea of like, like okay, wall of fire is classic. Yeah. Okay. Mm. Um, I want to create a wall of fire. Um, so the first question of my player is how big is it going to be? <laughs> <laughs> Typically they want, like if, if it's blocking like a large doorway, maybe that's silhouette two. If they want it to cover like a range band, like everything in, in the immediate vicinity of short, that's typically going to be silhouette three. Yeah. And so at that point, okay, silhouette three, we already know it's going to be a three purple difficulty. What's the effect you want it to achieve? Uh, concealment. Okay. Well, one die of concealment as its principal thing is going to be four difficulty. Uh, well, I want it to have the burn quality. Okay, we're at five difficulty now. And that's the highest you can go. Um, and, and that's when players tend to start to, to, to back off. So it's possible. It's possible. And with the right talents, it might even become easier to pull off. Signature spell is a thing. Yep. Okay. Mm-hmm. Improved signature spell is a thing. All right. <laughs> mm-hmm. We can't we can't forget towns like, whoa, God, no, wall fire is way too common in my setting. Well, no, just people who cast it have, have improved signature spell, and that's their improved signature spell. Guess what? Right. It's a three it's a three purple difficulty now. And that's mm-hmm. that's manageable. You know, so that that's a common one I've seen. Um, all the examples I put in here, oil slicks, very common. Mm-hmm. Um, and we, we kind of went through that example. Entangling brambles or thorns, things like that. One question I do have, though, is when you're looking at, um, you know, burn quality and, and stuff like that, if there were, if they were to, you know, summit a wall of fire, for example, couldn't you not look at some of the hazardous terrain rather than something with the burn quality? That if somebody wanted to move through that, they would take wounds based on the, the chart that's in the core rule book that talks about the different hazardous terrains, one of which is fire. Depending if they're going to take wounds that are greater than the spell casting characteristic you have, mm. uh, then it's beyond the purview of Conjure, in, in right. my perspective. This is mm. the danger of Conjure. We get into these thought patterns with Conjure. I can create anything! <laughs> so, sort of. Yes, you can. But it's like, I created a wall of fire. It can't burn you. Um, and it doesn't really do any damage to you. You can just kind of walk through it and maybe you singe a few hairs. Okay. <laughs> it, it, it's, it's like, again, we, we have spells for this kind of stuff. If your intention, so here's my, here's my problem with hazardous terrain, man. What's right. the intention of the effect? If the intention of the effect is to damage people, you should not be using conjure. You should be using an attack spell. Mm. Okay. 
again, going back to those examples, what's the intention of the conjuration? If it's to create difficult terrain, well, that's mm. perfectly within purview. And mm. hey, you want to make it uh, filled with jagged rocks or bubbling with lava. It's going to deal a little <laughs> bit of damage when they walk through it. Right. Great. Then, you know, whether you call it burn or ensnare or whatever, or as we even, uh, you don't have to do that. Like just dealing damage is typically mm. going to be a plus one, maybe plus two difficulty on top of whatever you're summoning. Mm. And that, di- that, that damage though is going to max out, should max out at your spell casting characteristic. Mm. It should not be the point of doing this. Yeah. Yep. Makes total sense. I think I'm getting used to this conjure idea. Getting used to, you're getting, you're getting used to it. Are you, are, you, are you getting used to it? Now, of course, having said all of that, we do have some conjure-focused talents that, you know, you alluded to before. Um, and it is worth noting that there are two talents in the Polish material that directly relate to the conjure spell. And that's Natural Communion, which is in Realms of Terranoth, and Druid, which is in the Expanded Player's Guide. Both make conjuration a lot easier. And we are not going to talk about them right now. Why? Because we're saving it for later in the episode. (laughs) 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 Okay, man. So we've we've talked about conjuration and con-to-conjure spell as a player. Hmm. Um, Difficulty setting, which talents we'll talk to, how the spell works. I want to transition to talking about Conjure as a GM. Hmm. Because as a GM, you really have to consider quite a few things when you have a player who wants to use this kind of magic. And honestly, you've got to make some decisions and set expectations with your players about how Conjuring creatures specifically works. And this is really where I want to start transitioning to and talking about. Because this is the other majorly confusing part about Conjuring <laughs> these creatures. But Huli, it's my question mm. to you. Per the rules as written... Player can summon anything with arcane or primal. Right. Okay. Any creature. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Unless the GM limits it. So do you want to limit it? And should you limit it? Well, look, I think our recommendation is that you probably should. Uh, in one or two ways, basically. Uh, not only will you suffer analysis paralysis on the player's part, even if they swear it won't happen, it will. Um, you make it much harder for yourself to plan and track things. So basically, what should you consider? How could you limit things? And this basically leads us to rule of thumb number three. The GM and player should work to keep conjure on theme for the setting. Now, rule of thumb number one was the same thing, but was about the player. This is the same rule, but from the GM's perspective. Don't make conjuring creatures happen willy-nilly. This is something that they can cast all the time. You don't want it to get out of control. Put some rails up. But the question is, what kind of rails are you constructing? Mm. There's various limit options here, man. Mm. Um, the easiest one for me is, is limiting by magic skill. Mm -hmm. All right. We have two skills that can use this spell primal and arcane. And I will tell you my preferred method when I'm running a straight up fantasy game, Mm -hmm. if you are using primal, you're summoning living animals. Mm -hmm. That's what you're summoning. Mm -hmm. That's it. 
as far mm. as creatures go, as far as creatures, everything we talk about, like we've spent a lot of time talking about like objects and stuff. Mm. And now we're talking about creatures from a GM standpoint. When you're talking about creature summoning and you're a primal user, you're summoning animals. Mm. That's what you're summoning. It's primal mm. magic. Mm. Okay. Mm. Arcane, you are either raising the undead <laughs> or calling in extra planar things. Um, maybe even forming constructs made of magic stuff or from some kind of astral plane. Um, this also covers animated objects as well. That's another totally fantastic mm. use for creature conjuration um, and a wonderful classical magic trope um, <laughs> uh, of, of animating an object, um, as long as it's not a skeleton. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, but the whole point is that all these examples that you could summon creatures with, with the arcane skill, they should not be natural in yeah. any sense of the word. Mm. They should be undead monstrosities, extra planar entities or animated objects. Mm. Um, and, and they're, they're not animals. They're not natural in any way or capability. Mm. Limiting what you can summon by magic skill is, is one of the easiest things to do. Highly recommend you do it. Yeah. But there's other rails you can put up as well. Mm. One of which is limit by creature availability. Now, this is one that I really like. So, Undead for a start. This isn't Diablo. And yes, I've played that game plenty of times. Skeletons don't just pop up out of the ground willy-nilly. You need to raise a corpse, meaning that there needs to be remains to be animated. Alternatively, if summoning a shade or ghostly threat, there should be an angry spirit roaming about in the area that you can take control of. Mm-hmm. Now, with animals, they don't so much pop out of thin air um, as magically appear next to you from where they were in the near vicinity, meaning you're summoning locally available beasts only. For animated objects, it needs to be an object that's near you. So if you're at a campsite and you want your uh, you want to summon a animated object, it's probably going to be your pot. Um, right. how t- I'm sorry, how terrifying <laughs> would an animated tent be? <laughs> I can see it walking along, sort yeah. of spider-like. Oh, that's cool. See? <laughs> that's awesome. <laughs> With his big mouth that no on second thought. Um, anyway, um, extraplanar entities is our next one. Um, or astral constructs. Um, look, this is a bit tough because it's really hard to limit. But our suggestions are generic entities should be simple. An astral construct or a being from a plane of law or good or a shadow should use a simple stat block. And we'll talk about that shortly. Demonic entities should have role-playing consequences. I love it when people summons demons. Um, <laughs> much should be also uh, be done for necromancy. But if you're out there summoning Hellspawn, people aren't really going to react when it's time to role-play. They're not going to be real nice to you. They're going to shun the sh- you. There's gonna, there's, they're going to shun you. There's <laughs> yeah. going to be the inevitable, the inevitable prosecution. Mobs, pitchforks, torches. Yeah, you get the idea. Yeah. yeah. Um, so, additionally, 
Maybe these things just don't go away when the spell is done. What a great way to spend a despair. You've just summoned this <laughs> this demon from another plane. And it goes, hmm, I feel like a holiday. <laughs> and then goes ramping through the town, ravaging everything that they can find. Um, you know, there's a demon on the loose. <laughs> and and you brought it here. Yeah. So it hates you. Hates you. Exactly. Um, <laughs> it absolutely hates you. I mean, look, ultimately, guys, wh- whether it be limiting by magic skill or limiting by creature availability, mm. you could use any or all of these ideas in your campaign. Yep. Um, mm. I, I, I use both. I'll be perfectly frank. Mm. Um, just remember, you have got, if you're going to, when, when you, when you, not if you're going to do this, when you do this, because you really <laughs> should, we encourage you to do it this way. <laughs> you should be setting the expectation with your players about how this works in session zero. Okay. Mm. Additionally, the other hard earned piece of advice God, I can give you (laughs) (laughs) is to err on the side of too much restriction over too little when it comes to this. It is a lot easier to roll back a rule than to put up a stronger one (laughs) after your players have already gotten accustomed to doing things a certain way. If you say I'm going to make things easier for you guys or remove some restrictions, no one's going to complain about that. Okay. (laughs) Um, Yeah. So, the last big thing, though, as a GM to think about, Huli, mm-hmm. when it comes to conjured creatures, yeah. what are the stats on these conjured creatures? Oh, my God. Do I ask myself that all the time? Um, and look, I've gone through uh, numerous sort of stories where people have wanted to, you know, summon things and then go okay what does that look like and then we spend the next you know 20 minutes going through rule books going oh i'm sure it's in here somewhere and i just go oh god i wish there was some sort of way that you could just easily do this uh and then of course the epg came out and it's just got an absolute butt ton of um of creatures and, and whatever else that you can use so it's really good um but look Conjuring creatures, this is the final thing we're going to have to dive into with Conjure tonight. Uh, And if you thought narrative conjuring created confusion, boy, just you wait. Because despite the extreme clarity offered in the structured encounter rules for summoning creatures to, to, you know, fight in your, fight your enemies, and there is a lot of clarity there is still some confusion. Let's talk about talk about what we know. What do we yeah. know? So we know that we can summon a minion. We can summon a rival. We can summon a silhouette zero to one minions and rivals. We can summon silhouette two to three minions and rivals. We know we can summon multiple minions or rivals. Great. The varied combinations of those things, plus whether you control them as a friendly and where on the field you summon them all equate to difficulty in clear rules. And incidentally, the most difficult, formidable at five purple dice, of the conjure spell you could make in a structured encounter to summon creatures would be a conjure with additional summon, summon ally, grand summon, and one range upgrade. So 
This could let you conjure a minimum of two rivals up to Silhouette 3, which is huge, all of which would be under your control at short range from you. Now, potentially more rivals if you roll enough advantages. You know, just saying. <laughs> so with all this clarity, where's the confusion though? What creatures can you summon? And what are their stats? And what can they do? This is the real conundrum. Right. Great, I can summon an animal. What are my options? Oh, that's right, GM. <laughs> you told me. It has to be local to the area. Great, I've got it. I know what I want to summon. What are its stats? Uh, okay. Great, yeah. I can raise the undead. What are my options? Oh, geez, that's right, GM. I've got to have access to remains. Hey, there's a cemetery right here. Look at that. <laughs> I just spent a story point. There's a cemetery right here. I got a nice skeleton warrior picked out. What are its stats? Uh, <laughs> or, you know, great, I can summon a demon. What are my options? Yeah, 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 GM, I know you told me. Pitchforks, torches from the village. I don't care. I want to summon a nasty demon foot soldier. What are its stats? Yeah. How do we determine the stats of summoned creatures? There are two methods, boys and girls. Two methods. We're going to talk about them both, and we're going to give you some tips and suggestions. Huli, what is the first method to determine the stats of summoned creatures? The first one is really easy. The core rules as written. Simply put, follow the rule <laughs> and let them pick it appropriately, thematically, and hopefully limited by the campaign setting, minion, or rival stat block from the books. Not more complex than that. And not all minions are created equal, don't forget that, or rivals for that matter. And this is where your GM limiting factors should come into play. And you know what? There are a lot of summitable stat blocks, and we thought we'd best point you to them for ease sake. A note, though, based on our own recommended uh, limiting factors, we've not included stats for anything that's not undead, an animal, an extra planar entity, or a construct. It seems like it, it I don't know, like summoning a goblin or a knoll or a, a thug, like a human thug, like mm. it just seems off, right? Right. Well, look, even if you want to go back to D&D, a lot of the creatures that, that get summoned are, you know, they're insects or they're mindless animals. Things that uh, you don't summon goblins as such. You summon demons. You, <laughs> you know, yeah. you summon elementals that uh, are not necessarily in their right minds. You know, they're, uh, they're things that obviously have been allowed to be summoned because they've failed a wisdom checks type thing um, rather than something more intellectual. Like you're not going to be uh, summoning an illithid anytime soon. Well, <laughs> nemesis. Nemesis. Ne nemesis. <laughs> so let's go through some of our NPC stat blocks for creatures. And there is yeah. a pretty extensive list. Uh, that yeah. we've made, and you can find these in the show notes, so you can have an easy way to um, to go through them. Um, but let's start with animals and beasts. So for minions with a silhouette of zero to one, we've got the wolf, 
the wolf um oh. <laughs> uh that's uh, can be found on page 88 of the explainer players guide uh for silhouette two to three you've got a horse of course uh that's epg on page 87 you've got a beast of burden um, which is Realms of Terranoth, page 104, and Riding Beast, which is also Realms of Terranoth, page 104. Uh, for Rivals, we have for Silhouette 0 to 1, we've got the Bane Spider from the Core Rulebook, page 147. Razor Wing uh, from the Core Rulebook, page 147. Also, you can uh, use that for a griffin. Um, sorry, throwback there to uh, an old podcast. Um, <laughs> the Hyper Rat Swarm, which is in Shadow of the Beanstalk, or you can basically just turn it into a Dire Rat Swarm. Um, you've got the Big Cat, which is in the EPG, page 86. Uh, the Dog or the Falcon, uh, which is in EPG, page 87. Shark, Venomous Snake, also in EPG, page 88. Thanks, Keith, for all of these monsters, can I just say? <laughs> can, I, can I just say? Yeah. <laughs> and then for lastly, we've for the animals, we've got Silhouette 2 to 3, which is a bear or a bull, which is also on uh, the EPG, a flying mount, which is in Realms of Terranoth on page 86, and then a war mount in Realms of Terranoth, page 105. So when you need to summon a beast, we have more beasts than anything else. And honestly, when you consider the druidic focuses we saw in the EPG, that made sense. Yep. Okay. Now, the next section to talk about is what we're roughly categorizing as martial and mechanical. Not animals, not undead, other things that you could summon. These would be templates that you should be using or at least reskinning. When it comes to constructs made of astral energy, Hmm. um, animated objects like a table or a tent, things of that nature. Um, From a minion standpoint, uh, silhouette zero to one, there is the combat drone, uh, which is Shadow of the Beanstalk, page 233. Um, This is a fantastic construct. Uh, for extra planar entities, Mm -hmm. Um, uh, a fantastic template, uh, especially because it also flies. Um, Mm. So uh, I highly, highly recommend that. It's not too overpowered. It's great minion. Um, Additionally, in the EPG, page 93, there is the warrior. The warrior is a generic minion warrior. Um, You should be using this as a template if you're going to summon a generic extra planar threat, an astral construct, um, these are the sort of the sample minion stats you should be using. That sort of formless, blockless, featureless, you know, <laughs> golem looking thing made out of, you know, uh, ectoplasm or dirt <laughs> or whatever, whatever you've constructed, mm. you know, the, it needs to be a minion. Take a look at that warrior template. It's fantastic. Mm. Um, from a rival's standpoint, uh, silhouette zero to one, there is the clockwork animal automaton mm-hmm. uh, on page 157 of the core rulebook. There is another combat drone titled as such in the core rule book, page 178. Um, same name, different book, but it's a rival this time. Mm-hmm. A couple other very important mentions. <laughs> there, is, there is the attacker, which is in the expanded player's guide, page 91. Again, this is very much like the warrior. If you need that generic blank template um, for a construct, but you need it to be a rival, use the attacker. 
And the last one I want to call out because mm. it's been published <laughs> is on the core rule book, page 187. This is the xenomorph horror. Okay. <laughs> so this is designed to be a gross alien style threat. All right. But it is a phenomenal stat block template that you can reskin as a powerful demon or a magic creature, magical creature of just pure horror. If you mm-hmm. want that, if you want that aspect, even has like a fearsome ability where it like, <laughs> like people have to make chat. Like, yeah, yeah, dude. Yeah. It's what you should expect if you summon a demon kind of thing. <laughs> um, so I, I highly, highly point people to that. Mm. Um, okay. What other existing stat blocks do we have? And in what category? So our last category is undead, which is my favorite. Ah. Um, we've got for our minions of Zillowette zero to one, we've got the skeleton in the core rule book on page 146. We've got the reanimate in realms of Terranoth page 166, which is basically your zombies. And then you've yeah. got the shade, which is also in realms of Terranoth on page 229. Uh, for rivals, silhouette zero to one, we have the baguest. Be my guest. Ah, <laughs> uh, just cracked myself up. Anyway, um, Robson Terranos on uh, page hundred and sixty-three for the baguest. Um, then you've also got the wraith in realms of Terranos, page hundred and sixty-seven, and you've got the dwarf ancestors spectre, which is basically your ghost uh, in realms of Terranos, page one hundred and ninety-five. Yeah, you can you can file a couple things off that to make any generic mm. ghost rival you want. That's yeah. not a wraith, it's a ghost. There's, there's a difference. Yeah. I think that the key thing, if you haven't noticed already, is that, and this is something that Chris and I have spoken about on the, on the show before, reskinning is your friend. Just because, I'll use the, the attacker, just because it's an attacker on paper, doesn't necessarily mean that that's what they're going to look like. You as the player or the GM, if you've got an evil guy summoning whatever, use that as the template. Then put that flavor into it of what it looks like. And maybe with some story point expenditure or advantages or stuff like that, that it can do extra things or that uh, it can play into the scenario a little bit more but ultimately you want to make things really simple really simple really really simple um like the attacker and the warrior their stat blocks have no weaponry it's like no yeah okay um you know maybe maybe you give it a sword or Hmm. a claw okay or whatever Hmm. um but but these are are good things just who said you can build off of Hmm. so that's doing it core rules is written But if you've got the liking for it, there is another interesting option that we've come up with, and it requires a little bit of house ruling. (laughs) Okay, so full full disclosure, wrote this idea up a long time ago. I have yet to get it on the table. When I've run Conjure up to this point, it's always been with the, no, we pick pick a stat block together method. Okay. Mm -hmm. This method, though, I really hope people will use and give give us some good feedback on mm. um i've run this by a few people i trust um to do some pseudo play testing and i've gotten good feedback so far this is summoning creatures based on challenge rating 
So one of the more interesting and by many people beloved things in the expanded players guide uh, was that it introduced the concept of the challenge rating. Yeah. Okay? Um, and for a game with heavy, heavy summoning, especially a lot of conjure usage, this is actually can be a very marvelous tool to keep your conjured creatures balanced and still fun. Mm. Um, so rather than rehash what, what challenge ratings are and how they work, please just give a re-listen to episode 23 where we walk through it all in detail. Mm-hmm. Not only do all the threats in the EPG already have challenge ratings assigned to them, mm-hmm. but the EPG gives you rules on how to assign a CR to any threat in any published book. Mm-hmm. Okay. Mm-hmm. So excellent. And with, with this knowledge in hand, we can make some minor house rule adjustments to the conjure spell and suddenly magically mm-hmm. reduce the confusion and worry around summon creatures by about 95%. <laughs> yes. So, Huli, do you, do you want to walk through this or do you want me to walk through this? Oh, look, I'm more than happy to, to, to walk you through it. Um, so uh, here's basically the proposed house rule, uh, which I love. Um, what you would do is you would alter the relevant text of the conjure spell action on page 216 of the core rulebook as follows. If the check is successful, the character summons a creature no bigger than Silhouette 1 with a combat rating equal to or below the CR for one PC based on the group power level as determined by Table 2.2-6. I always think I'm... I'm reading law. I always say that um, in the expanded player's guide. Also, alter the relevant text of the medium summon conjure additional effect, which is on page 217 of the core rulebook as follows. The character may summon a creature no larger than Silhouette 1 with a combat rating equal or below the CR for two PCs based on the group power level as determined by Table 2-2-6 in the Expanded Player's Guide. And then lastly, you would alter the relevant text of the Grand Summon Conjure additional effect on page 217 of the Core Rulebook as follows. The character may summon a creature of up to Silhouette 3 with a combat rating equal or below the CR for four PCs based on the group power level, as determined by Table 2.2-6 in the Expanded Player's Guide. So, Chris, what does all of this mean? (laughs) It's hard to listen to, but it'll be in the show notes, guys. You can read it more clearly. Basically, it means this. Look, instead of summoning any minion or any rival in the silhouette restrictions of the spell you're casting, the power of the summoned thing creature you're summoning improves with and is limited by the group's power level. Okay. Which is based on earned XP. Okay. Based in the, the challenge rating system. And it lets you gauge how powerful the threats should be in encounters. That's what it does. Um, it's a lot less freeform, but man, is it balanced. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and, you know, for, like for 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 some specific examples okay let's say you got a party the 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 party challenge rating the the party rating power rating the group power rating is they've got they've got a hundred earned xp okay 
per player. That's what they got. Mm-hmm. If I initially cast just a basic summon of a minion, I go to table II or 2.2-6 appropriate <laughs> challenge rating on page 85 of the Expanded Player's Handbook, um, yep. Expanded Player's Guide. And I, I look that up and I, I see the row. I'm looking at it right now and it looks like uh, the CR for one PC is three. Hmm. So I would summon a minion with a combat rating of three. Right. Not challenge rating, combat rating. Let's call mm-hmm. that out specifically. Okay. If I have no earned XP, it would be a combat rating of two. Okay. Hmm. Um, if I use medium summon, that bumps up to over one column. So it's a CR for two PCs. So again, if I have 100 earned XP as the group rating, that would be a combat rating of four. Um, and then if I use Grand Summon, it bumps it up to combat rating for four PCs, which again, at 100 earned XP, is a combat rating of 10. Okay. <laughs> now, ultimately, that is like a very, very robust rival, which it kind of should be at that difficulty and more importantly, at 100 earned XP. Yep. What's interesting about this is like that same effect of like I'm summoning a, a grand summon, okay, mm-hmm. rival, and mm-hmm. I have zero to twenty five earned XP. That's only a combat rating of five. Okay, so with this methodology, the the idea is that as you gain an experience, and 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 hopefully it, with with like the caveat to this is your GM should be using challenge ratings to balance the encounter. Yeah. Okay, mm-hmm. because when you do the math backwards. In essence, what you're doing is you're just adding more PCs to the party, okay, at an appropriate challenge rating. And so it's kind of it's kind of working it backwards. But it also means that as your party gets more competent and you have more earned experience, when you summon something, it's better. Okay. Mm. So I mean, yeah, that's that's really what it comes down to. That is the other recommendation we can make. I I hope you guys play test it. I hope you try it, like it. Mm. My my last thought on this whole thing, Huli, either method, okay. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. especially with this second method of, of, you know, using summon creatures based on challenge rating yep. and still a very wise idea. If you're just using it raw per the core rules and just picking a rival or a minion out of the books, mm-hmm. it would be a piece of wisdom for the GM or ideally the player to have the relevant stat blocks copied or on hand for summoning. Yeah. Book diving. Mm-hmm. This is one of the few areas where you will legitimately go book diving while playing Genesis. Yeah. If you're not care, if you're not careful and you're not prepped. Yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. So. Yeah. Hmm. Here's a question: Is there a supplement on the Genesis Foundry for summoned creatures? There's got to be. You would think so. There's bestiaries all the live long day. So. Mm. That would There's be a, a dinosaur book. A dinosaur book. <laughs> that would be druids. That would be that would be an awful lot of fun. Well, and depending on the limitations, uh, yeah, that would be really cool. That would be really cool. Yeah. So yeah, there, there's a whole heap of options there as well for uh, finding additional stats. So uh, if you see some beastry books that are on there that are available, check those out. Let us know how you went with using this particular rule set. And if you're looking through the other books that don't have challenge ratings, um, don't forget in the errata, 
that uh, was, uh, and I think it still is available on the Edge site for the Genesis role-playing game. Uh, it has all of the challenge ratings for all of the previous published NPCs. So take a look at that as well. Yeah, buddy. I'm seriously looking forward to um, doing some uh, summoning now, just very quietly. Well, that's it, guys. That's Conjure. Yeah. yeah. And a couple of rules of thumb to let you help navigate this wild and wonderful bit of magic. <laughs> so <laughs> should we actually go through what those rules of thumb are again, just for the people who've been, you know, not necessarily listening, although we all know you have been. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's probably a good idea. Again, again, three rules of thumb. Rules of thumb, rule of thumb number one with Conjure. The GM and the player should work to keep Conjure on theme for the character. Hmm. Rule of thumb number two. Yep. If Conjure pushes up against another spell's effect, that's okay. As long as it's not better than the other spell's core capability. And what's our third one, Chris? Rule of thumb number three. The GM and the player should work to keep Conjure on theme for the setting. Yeah. All right. Yeah. GM limitations and factors come mm. into play. Mm. But also, hopefully, guys, as we've gone through these examples, when it comes to things like how to summon things correctly, difficulty calculation, what you can do with summoning, I hope this has been beneficial. Mm. I hope I hope it is it has provided at least some amount of clarity or at least reduced confusion. <laughs> <laughs> I know that I got a lot out of it, so uh, hopefully uh, they have as well. But to continue on with that theme, as I discussed at the start of the episode, um, perhaps we should um, take a look at some of those talents that we talked about before. What do you think? I think some die casting, yeah. <laughs> die casting. Forge Podcast is all about bringing new creations to the table. And the Genesis RPG provides us all with a powerful set of tools to do so, especially through skills and talents. The diecasting segment is about closely examining individual skills and talents and how they relate to the creations you craft. And guys, it's been a while since we visited diecasting. Uh, in episode 26, we took a look at perception and vigilance. Mm. Um, but tonight, in line, as Julia said, with our furnace topic, we thought it very wise to take a deeper look into the pair of magical talents currently published that modify the conjure spell. Right. Oh, and what Chris is talking about are the talents of natural communion and druid from the realms of Terranoth and the expanded player's guide, respectively. Both clearly target a very specific type of conjuration magic and serve a very specific trope. One is more powerful, but the other slightly more versatile. These talents are intended to serve the classical concept that primal magic users have an easier time summoning animal allies. But how do these talents work? How can you, and should you, properly represent them in your games? Which is better? When and why do you use them? And can we learn lessons from them to create new talents for Conjure? That's what we're going to be talking about tonight. All right, let's talk about the basics. What are these talents? How do they work? So basically, the, the first of these talents we got our hands on was Natural Communion, which was found in Realms of Terranoth on page 88. So it was obviously designed for a fantasy setting, 
that uses the magic and, and conjure spell. So it says natural communion tier two, uh, activation is passive and it's not ranked. When your character uses the conjure magic action, the spell gains the summon ally effect without increasing the difficulty. All creatures you, your character summons must be naturally occurring animals native to the area. So let's talk about this talent. It's, it's obviously designed to represent characters who have a very druidic bent. Um, and it's about summoning animals specifically and the ones which are native to the area. So it really reads like you're magically calling nearby beasts to your aid. Mechanically, though, there's no limit on that. You could very well uh, be calling out, pulling them out of thin air. Perhaps their spirit energy floods the place since they're native to that area. But it's not just about geography, but the environment and terrain. We spoke about that earlier during the furnace. In other words, if you're half a mile underground, summoning a wolf which wanders the forest directly above you just won't do. It would need to be an underground denizen and vice versa. Furthermore, despite the clear theme of it, there's no limitation preventing a mage from using the talent with the arcana skill. That's right. And that's that's the versatility of this particular talent at tier two. Yep. Hmm. Um, and let's talk about how to use this talent and the benefits and the drawbacks it provides. So first of all, 10 XP for a tier hmm. two talent that basically gives you a free plus one difficulty additional effect in terms of summon ally hmm. is pretty freaking cool. Hooli, mm. is this is this OP? Is it overpowered? Short answer, no. Assuming the GM considers and upholds the second part of the talent about naturally occurring animals. Uh, you know, the, the free reduction to your difficulty costs just fine. As Signature Spell, also in Realms of Terranoth, has the same sort of thing. And um, it's also a tier two talent. So it really yeah. captures for a cheap cost the naturalist conjurer. Whether you're using primal or arcane, you're basically attuned to the environment to summon native animals to your aid. Yes. But then after that, and Realms of Terranoth, the expanded player's guide dropped. <laughs> Such a good book. It's such a good book. And it gave us it gave us a new talent so on the nose for its ability and its intent that it kind of hurts. Um, and this would be the talent Druid, uh, mm. found in the Expanded Player's Guide, page 96. So this talent was clearly and obviously designed to support the classic fantasy trope of the Druid, if that mm. wasn't clear from its name. <laughs> Druid is a Tier 3 talent, activation passive, not ranked. When your character casts a conjure spell using the primal skill, they always add the summon ally effect without increasing the difficulty. Sounds familiar. Mm -hmm. And they must always summon a living animal, such as those starting on page 86 of mm -hmm. Expanded Player. Mm -hmm. The animal remains for the duration of the encounter 
even if your character does not use a concentrate maneuver to maintain the spell. What? (laughs) At your GM's discretion, the animal may already have been nearby rather than summoned from thin air. Likewise, at the end of the encounter, the animal may revert back to its natural behavior instead of vanishing. Such a good talent. (laughs) It's it's such a good talent. And I do want to call an audible on this that we did not put in the show notes. Right. Um, This actually, I saw this, I saw this online. So somebody basically said, okay, so with Druid, I could spend my action every turn to spam this spell. And depending on how long the combat lasts, even say Mm -hmm. three rounds, okay, (laughs) if I use additional ally, okay, additional summon, right? Mm -hmm. Uh, each, Each time I do this and I pull it off, I could have a minimum of, you know, after three rounds, six animals walking around. Doing doing my bidding, right? Um, that sounds really intriguing. Until you start to dissect the fact that it takes you a maneuver to direct a controlled animal. Yeah. Now, the spell very clearly states states that if you summon multiple animals as a part of the additional summon, mm. you know, additional effect, you can spend one maneuver to basically guide both of them right or whatever you chose to summon Hmm. the thing is though if you have three active spells going now you will need a maneuver to control the animal summoned by each of those spells individually you don't get to spend one maneuver to control all the animals you summon with your three spells (laughs) doesn't work that way okay so you would need to spend in essence like in that earlier scenario i got three active spells up I don't have to concentrate on on them at all. I used additional summon to get two creatures. I could spend a maneuver to control the first two. I spend another maneuver to control the second two. I would need to spend a third maneuver to control the third. Okay. Hmm. Um, Now, you could set up like, hey, attack that dude. And then you don't have to think about it again. Right? Hmm. But the point is, it's not as quite nifty as that. That's that's my audible. I forgot to put it in the notes, but it came Hmm. up online when I was doing research for this. So, Hmm. just an FYI. And I tell you what, you'd need a whole heap of strain. <laughs> yeah, well, six, six strain, six strain. What? Mm. Uh, yeah, I mean, it's doable. It's doable. To, to, I'm sorry. To get six threats on the field mm. to fight for you, I'll, I'll spend. I'll, t- I'll take that. I'll spend but six uh, strain. Yeah, buddy. Yeah, buddy. I'll take six strain. You sure? Yeah. But the thing is, you can only still only do unless you've you've got yeah, some yeah. sort of special. But you can't do more than two maneuvers around. So exactly. you know, yeah, you so can't it's, sort it's, of. It's yeah. It's, it's not. It's not all it's cracked up to be. Is all I'm saying. No, but it's, it's no. still an amazing talent. Talk to me mm. about the about about how the talents use. What what about the benefits and drawbacks it provides? So, for the cost of fifteen XP we get a tier three talent and it not only gives you a free plus one difficulty for the additional effect in summon ally, like the Terranoth talent, you know, it's pretty cool, but this also makes it that you don't have to concentrate to maintain it. Is this OP? Is this overpowered? (laughs) Mm. Uh, not, really. <laughs> not, not really. Yeah. Again, it is, assuming the GM considers and upholds the second part of the talent, 
about living animals only. So it's actually less restrictive than natural communion as you're not geographically or environmentally limited. Want to summon a shark in the desert? Well, you could, (laughs) I guess. (laughs) Could be a land shark. Could be a bullet. Uh, Number one with a bullet. Um, Mechanically, at least. Um, (laughs) So... And as we've discussed, the free reduction to your uh, to your difficulty is costed just fine for Tier 2. So obviously at Tier 3, it's just as good. But the no concentration maintenance of the spell is another huge boon. Is that overpowered? Again, not really. Not really. First of all, that's part of why it's Tier 3 talent. Let's not forget that. It's a reason why it's not the Tier 2 version of Natural Communion. Secondly, we can see a narrative limitation. It is a living animal as, to, as opposed to what you can summon. Because of this, uh, this is one of the few times we can see a narrative drawback to what is a mechanical boon. Yes, you can do this thing, but you're going to be kind of limited in, on how you can do it. And thirdly, it only applies to primal, not to arcana. So it's limiting it again. Um, so honestly, this talent really captures the archetype of its namesake. If you're playing a druid, it is very fitting. So let's talk about using these talents in our games. I mean, because I think honestly, dude, either one of these can have a, a, a great place in your fantasy game. Mm. Um. What, talk to me about character options, man. If I'm a character thinking about these talents, what, what do I need to think about? So I guess mechanically speaking, uh, the character who is the druid summoner will want at least one of these and they'll likely want it really quickly. Uh, summoning an in-control ally for a mere easy difficulty is just too good to pass up. And potentially not having to concentrate on the spell either that is so good. <laughs> Very good. So you're going to be wanting that pretty damn quick. But what about GM options, Chris? Yeah, I, I hate to say it, um, but when it comes to these two talents in your home game, you should allow for one of these and disallow the other. Um, right. They're 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 too similar. The real question is which to choose. And there's some simple questions I think you could ask yourself. Um, Is there a true druidic tradition in your campaign setting? Three three potential answers. Yes, but they're rare and they're powerful. Great. Go with druid. Keep druid as the talent. The answer is yes, and they're pretty common. You could select either. Um, but if a no concentrate summon scares you, go with natural con- communion. <laughs> um, and if the answer to is there a dru- true druidic tradition in your setting, if the answer is no, uh, not formally, just they're basically just hippie wizards, <laughs> um, then you're going to want to go with natural communion. Uh, yeah. Because honestly, there shouldn't be that much of a focus on a primal magic exclusive talent. And that's kind of mm. the reason why. Yeah. Um, you know, is is uh, other so that's is there a druidic tradition in your setting? That's the first question to ask yourself. The second is, is the player or the party 
magic heavy and really familiar with magic. And again, does the idea of a no concentrate summon scare you? <laughs> yes. <laughs> if, the, if the answer is yes, you should probably go with natural communion. Right. Um, of, 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 of the two. Um, I don't know, man. Like ultimately, like despite all those questions, dude, if like, if, if you're, if you're listening to this and you're a GM and you're on the fence, like, I don't know which one to use. Mm. I like Druid so much better as a talent. Yeah. Yeah. I agree. I agree. It's way I mean, more thematic. Way more. It's thematic. way more thematic. It's meaningfully powerful, worthy mm. of its tier three status. And it's just so much flavor. There's so much flavor in it, man. Well, in a strange sort of a way, I guess that um, one is like the supreme or the uh, the improved version of the other, really, isn't it? Kind of, yeah. yeah. With a little bit of rewording for your campaign, you could have it like that. You could, but but honestly, the, my my only problem with that is Druid is only worthy of being tier three because it provides a free summon ally and, and Mm -hmm. the no concentrate summon. If I already have a free summon ally from the tier two, Mm -hmm. this is a grossly miscosted talent. It should not be tier three, tier three at that point. It should be another tier two. Right. That's, that's where my, cause, cause I'm not, I'm not, I'm not getting the full benefit of the talent. I've already got half the benefit from a different talent. Yeah. So that's why I say don't. That, that's why I, say I recommend don't have both in your game. Yeah. No, that's fair. Um, although I have to say that talking at it, looking at it from an action economy perspective, not having to concentrate on a spell is a pretty damn big addition, especially if you start it- summoning extra things. Sure, you know. sure, and, but and 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 this would be grossly miscosted if it wasn't limited to a living animal and mm-hmm. primal magic, yeah, exclusive, sure. exclusively. Yep. So that's yep. that's where the balancing for, comes in for me. Mm-hmm. And also, and I can't remember the episode number, but uh, if you want to look at what a druid looks like from a um when we did the um rather than using the talent tree we created um like a spec sheet a specialist class for uh, yeah. for druid you can we go did. and take a look at that um and we included some talents in there too so it's just a side note but anyway <laughs> so what about new talents though chris speaking of Oh, what boy. can these well-designed talents teach us? Can we expand them or use them to create new things? I bet we can. <laughs> I, I, I bet we can. And by the way, the answer to your earlier query, um, episode 18 is the episode you Aha! Right. Um, nice. uh, the, the episode was called Talents Also Grow on Trees. Ah, um, that's right. Yeah. Um, and we actually, you built that out beautifully in the show notes, the whole true spec. Mm. Yeah. Take a look. Um, so yeah, new talents, um, we absolutely can use both these talents as inspiration for new things. And we, we've, we've learned what, what have we learned? Huli? let me, let me, I'll pose this to you first. Okay. Look, looking at those two talents, what mm. mechanical lessons have we learned that we can now apply to new creations? 
Well, I think we've learned two things. So the first thing is reducing a spell's difficulty by one is worth a tier two talent. Um, now, we see this in, in a highly specific sense with Signature Spell and in a broader sense where the specificity is is limited to a specific additional effect on a specific tel- spell type with Natural Communion. Secondly, reducing a spell's difficulty by one and also removing the need to concentrate is worth a Tier 3 talent. So, assuming you limit things to a single skill usage, as we see with Druid, that's okay. So but there we can go. we create anything new? I did. <laughs> I bet you did too. <laughs> uh, I did. I did. Um, kind of went hog wild. Um mm. The first one's kind of interesting. Um, I wanted to create a Druid Improved, um, mm. an improved Druid druid talent. So the talent's Druid Improved, Tier 3, mm. wait for it. Okay. Passive mm. activation, not ranked. Your character must have purchased the Druid talent to benefit from this talent. Mm. When your character casts a Conjure spell, using the Primal skill, they always add the medium summon effect without increasing the difficulty. And mm. they must always summon a living animal. The animal remains for the duration of the encounter, even if your character does not use a concentrate maneuver to maintain the spell. At your GM's discretion, the animal may have already been nearby rather than someone from thin air, but yada, but yada, but yada, but yada. Right. Mm. Um, so yeah, it's, 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 it's like Druid, except instead of summon ally, it's summon a powerful ally. It's medium, medium summon for free, basically. Um, I really, I wanted to do this expanded version of the Druid talent, but I didn't make it tier four. Mm. I, I made it tier three, which Druid, base Druid is also tier three. Right. Which is um, weird. <laughs> it, it, it's, it's weird, but I'm, for some reason, we think that improved and even Supreme versions need to be higher tier. Hmm. they don't you shouldn't be judging the talent based on that you should be judging the talents tierhood it's xp cost Hmm. based on the effect it provides Hmm. and honestly more easily summoning a rival than a minion again a plus uh, a plus one difficulty decrease is all it is Hmm. okay that is just not quite good enough for me to justify making this a 20 XP talent. Mm. Okay. Um, and even then, like when you, when you make it a tier four, like a 20 XP talent, it's mm. not just, it costs them 20 XP to take it. Keep in mind, it's another 15 XP. They've also got to take to get there. Another tier one, another tier mm. two. Okay. To build up the talent pyramid to get that new tier three. Okay. The only question I have with regards to this, though, is that technically you can do both. You can um, you can be using Druid, so you get the ally, and then you're yeah. increasing the size. That's where I think that not, the, probably, not the size, but the but sorry, the, the rival. Yeah. yeah, so yeah. taking it up to a rival. That to me. 
means that it needs to be tier four? Well, we just, we, like, we, we determined earlier and those lessons learned that reducing an additional effect Mm -hmm. by like a plus one additional effect is a T is tier two talent worthy. Sure. I made this a tier three Mm -hmm. to accommodate what you just said. Sure. Okay. Additionally, like, and it's kind of what I was hinting at. It's not, it's not just buying a 15 XP tier three talent and now they can do this too. That you can't just buy a tier three. You got to build the pyramid up. Oh, yeah, sure. Absolutely. I need, I need to get another tier one and another tier two at a minimum, typically, to, to make this work. So it's yeah. not like it's an extra 15 cost. It's an extra 30 cost to, mm. to get to this point. Mm. And uh, again, it's, it's, it's an option. It's an option. And as we always say with this stuff, none of this has been play tested. No, absolutely <laughs> not. <laughs> not at all. Um, I just think with the stacking capability, I think that that to me would be an increase to a tier four. But that's entirely reasonable. I, I can, yeah. I can, I can get behind it, Huli. I can get behind it. Cool, awesome. But our next talent went in a little bit of a different direction. <laughs> <laughs> And yet, and yet, a very, a very similar one. I, I agree. I agree. So, because Chris and I love it both so much, we decided to create the Necromancer, um, which is also a tier three. Uh, it's got a passive activation, and it's not ranked. So, when your character casts a conjure spell using the Arcana skill, they always add the summon ally effect without increasing the difficulty and they must always summon an undead creature. The undead creature remains for the duration of the encounter, even if your character does not use a concentrate maneuver to maintain the spell. At your GM's discretion, the creature remains or disembodied spirit may have already been nearby rather than summoned from thin air. Likewise, at the end of the encounter, the creature may revert back to its natural behavior instead of vanishing. Like slaughtering the party. No. Um, (laughs) Now, this is pretty much a straight reskin of Druid. Um, And I can see this is a template for doing a few extra things. You could... Um, if your setting allowed for the summoning, uh, like to do divine using summoning or something similar to that, you could have a paladin to be able to summon his mount. Although you probably just have that as a talent, to be honest. Um, but yeah, you, you, men- you mentioned this, you things. mentioned this you mentioned this earlier. Like I, I didn't know where you were quite going with that. Like because. Are you talking about creating talents that would allow a divine caster to use conjure? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I know mm. the easiest way to do that would be to um, have someone. Oh, what's that? There's a talent um, that allows you to cast minor spells, um, and it's in realms of Terranos, and it's Templar, I think. Um, that allows you to do some spells. I can't remember off the top of my head what exactly it does, but that sort of thing could is where you'd be looking at. So to- Templar, all, all all Templar divas is it says. Well, okay, yeah, that that's actually quite reasonable. I I can see that. Um, 
so Templar is tier one. Um, mm-hmm. It's on page 87 of Realms of Tiranoth. And it's uh, divine becomes a, a career skill for your character, first and mm-hmm. foremost. Mm-hmm. And secondly, you can only cast one spell using this skill per encounter. Right. Um, improved Templar, which is tier two on page 89. Um, you, when your character casts that single divine spell for the encounter that they get from the Templar talent, mm-hmm. um, they don't add any uh, setback die for wearing heavy armor. Right. Um, or, or not having a hand free. That's really all it does. But mm. like my concern with developing a talent like this for conjure, my good sir, mm-hmm. if you're going to reskin it completely mm. is once an encounter with conjure is mm. nothing. It's nothing in the, in, in the reality of play. Mm. A conjurer is only going to cast it once an encounter. Like, like, so in other words, this is not a limitation. Mm. Like I summon a monster and then I go directed to do stuff. Mm. I mean, your average, your average encounter lasts three rounds. Right. So, so I don't, I don't, I don't think it's a big enough restriction. We, and even then Templar doesn't give somebody access to a spell. That's not a part of the magic skill spell list. Mm. It gives them access to divine and then says they can cast a divine spell. We don't have any talent that's ever been published that says, oh yeah, and a, a, a divine user can now uh, use Conjure, or a, a primal user can now use Dispel. Like, mm. like, like we don't have, we've never seen a talent like that. That I, I mean, I, I'm not saying it wouldn't work, it may, it may be higher costed, but I would play test the living holy hell out of it. <laughs> when you look at all of the uh, the conjuration stuff that clerics can do, and there are a whole heap of them. And I mentioned that earlier in the episode. Well, in in what in what in 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 not this system? You're talking about Dungeons and Dragons. Yeah, I'm talking about Dungeons and Dragons. Okay, yeah, and so I know comparing, that. Why are we oh, well, well, Dungeons and Dragons? <laughs> sure, there are still going to be players who, uh, especially when you start dragging people over to Genesis, because it's a far better system, is that they are going to want to be doing similar things. And I know that we've had this conversation in the past that it's like, well, if you want to do those things, why the hell aren't you going to play in D&D? This is a different system. I think that you can still do some things, because I'm always a big believer in, you know, never say never, to have some talents that can curb things a little bit differently, whether it be, you know, a tier two talent that allows you to um, use divine to summon holy beings. So it's it's only giving you access to not the entirety of the arcane or um, the arcana, sorry, or the whole of the um, the primal spell list. It's only giving you access to one specific spell, but for divine and the delimited to the the divine creatures and things like that. Yeah, it's possible. I mean, I would make it a tier 3, maybe tier 4 if you're if you're going to do it. My gut instinct to preserve the rules would actually be um have them take a tier 1 talent that puts primal on their skill list. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> 
And then there is, I'm trying to remember what, like, I'm trying to remember where they are and what their costs are. I think they're tier three or tier four. There's a, a there's talents that let you replace um, one characteristic with a different one when it comes to right. skill usage. Yep, yep. Have one that lets you replace uh, willpower for cunning. Hmm. And thus, and thus, what you're doing is you now have access to primal. You can take ranks in primal. You're making a primal skill check, but you can use your willpower instead of your cunning. Hmm. Your cleric. Hmm. And I mean, at that point, that's what a tier one and a tier three. And hmm. Bob's your uncle. Hmm. Hmm. I don't know. As another potential thought. Yeah, but I mean, it can be done. Is what we're saying. But how we would have to do I some don't, I don't, uh, No, that's what you're saying. I don't like it. <laughs> 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 I don't, I don't, I don't like it. But my cleric can do that. Yeah, I know, but it's a different. Like, it's like it's like you can heal, dude. You can heal. Come on, like, like if you're playing a cleric to be a summoner, what are you again? It's like, it's like summoning a pistol. What are you even doing? What are, what are you even doing? Oh man, like, I like, like my clerics in D and D. Like, 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 what are you even doing? I want to use conjure so I can do spiritual weapon. It's called an attack spell. You can use attack. You're a cleric. <laughs> Guess what? Your attack has the image of a giant floating mace. That's what it is. Bam. Okay. You, you attacked. Like, like th- this, this comes down to, again, like, like unshackling ourselves from the D20 mindset. Sure. I understand. I understand the point around conjuring divine entities, extra planar to come and fight. Right. But dude. I have been playing D&D for a very, 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 very long time. Not as long as you, but a very, <laughs> very, very long time. Right. I've been playing D&D since I was 12 years old. Okay. Right. Mm-hmm. All right. In the 30 years I have been playing D&D, mm. many systems, I can count on one hand the number of times I saw a cleric summon a monster. You've not been playing in my games. <laughs> All right. So you say, your mileage may vary. But again, like like of all the things you can do as a cleric, that's what you're going to do. Like I, I like what are we what are you even doing here? I don't I don't know. And, and, and I'm not about divine weapon or anything like that. That's not that's not conjure. That's attack. Sure. The only the only the only one of those things that that like cleric is augment barrier heal. No, I mean, look, look, it it is it's still possible. But I agree with you that. A cleric has a certain certain theme to it. Why it can summon these sorts of things, I'm not quite sure. It's, but it's, the thing is, is that it can, and so players are going to say, "Well, my cleric and D and D can do that," and you want to be removing barriers from people, so that yeah, sure you can do that, but it's going to cost you. And so it's a matter of designing talents, which is beyond the scope of what we're going to do tonight. But, I mean, honestly, um, if, honestly, honestly, if you said, if you said, yeah, I want a talent that puts this spell on the, on, on a different skill, I, I like, like, let's, let's conjure be used with divines. Like, great. It's tier five. Here you go. <laughs> <laughs> like, it's possible. It's possible. Work your way, work your ass up to it. And when you've got that much earned XP, if you're still summoning creature, like, come on now, what are we doing? Here? I don't. Sorry, I'm I'm soapboxing a bit. But I'm 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 I'm, I'm soapboxing a bit. But all right, we're so off track. The the necromancer what? talent. Yes. So the necromancer talent, as we said, it's a straight out reskin of druid. Uh, it's easy and well play tested. So you just replace primal with arcana, 
and limited to undead. So pretty simple there. But as is Chris's want, um, <laughs> he's gone and done an improved in a supreme version. So let's talk about improved, Chris. <laughs> okay. So when I did the improved version of Necromancer, I did not reskin the improved version of Druid that I just also created. I did not do Ooh. that. <laughs> because, okay, when, when I think about a, an improved Druid, somebody right. who's a masterful summoner, hmm. the trope that comes to mind is not a Druid who summons an army of animals. It's, I mean, they don't. They summon one freaking big, like, <laughs> guess what? This is my friend, Baloo. This is Smokey. He is a bear, and he will maul you now. Okay, okay. It, 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 it's it's about, and th- that's why improved druid. I went I went for the free medium summon. Okay, because sure. you get to that rival nature. Okay, yeah, yeah. yeah. So more more easily with necromancer. When I think about a powerful necromancer, I don't <laughs> think about ooh, he summoned a more powerful zombie. No, no, no. What the trope is is he summoned an army of skeletons okay <laughs> it's not about quality it's about quantity that's right. the trope at least right mm-hmm. yep, yep so that's where i leaned into with improved necromancer so improved necromancer tier four passive no rank non-ranked character must have purchased necromancer to benefit from it mm-hmm. when your character casts a conjure spell using the arcana skill they always add the additional summon effect without increasing the difficulty Mm-hmm. And they must always summon undead creatures. The undead creatures mm-hmm. remain for the duration of the encounter, even if your character does not use a concentrate maneuver to maintain the spell. Bayada, bayada, bayada. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, yeah, dude, it's just like the necromancer summoning multiple undead things. It's like a serious trope. I think it should be supported. And it's tier four because it's freaking powerful. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, so like, and to the earlier conversation, like I said, I can get behind bumping improved Druid to a tier four. I can get behind it. Right. Initially, I didn't because I didn't see going from a minion to a rival to be that big of a boon. Mm. But honestly, a free <laughs> a free additional summon that is a big boon. Mm-hmm. Um, because when you summon multiple minions under allied control, and l- let's be frank, by the time you're pulling off a tier four talent, your arcana pool has got to be pretty boss. Okay, yep. mm-hmm. and with a reduced difficulty, this is going to provide you're going to be popping off advantage. Okay. Yeah. Which means that you which means that you are likely to probably summon on average three minions with this talent if you just use minion option. Okay. Mm-hmm. Those can immediately be directed into a minion group. And a three minion group mm-hmm. is going to be typically as powerful, if not more powerful, than a typical rival, strangely, in terms yeah. of at least the damage they can deal to you. Mm-hmm. Um you get to four minions, they will blow most rivals out of the water. Yeah. Um, so that's why I costed it at tier four. Mm. Makes sense. Maybe that's too, maybe it's too low. I don't know. <laughs> well, I have, I have, a we- will... I have a weakness for necromancers. <laughs> people are going to have to play test that, I think. But, um, tier four seems fine to me. Um, but, uh, yeah, you'd have to, you have to see it in play testing to, to really see whether it breaks. But, yeah. um, yeah, I think that's really cool. But it's yeah. still not as good as the Supreme version. Uh, this is okay. <laughs> you you and I have designed a lot of talents together on this program. Mm-hmm. This may be the only one I've ever put on paper. But I said to myself, 
this might be broken. <laughs> <laughs> like, like we, you and I have pretty good instincts for this. Okay. Yeah. yeah right. Re- realistically, historically, when we put this stuff out, we find that nine times out of ten, it play tests out just like we thought it would. Maybe we right. got to make some modifications. Maybe a few things. Okay. This talent, this one right here, <laughs> I, I got about a fifty percent confidence rate. This would play test out fine. <laughs> And it's a tier five talent. Wow. Um, this would okay. be su- this would be supreme <laughs> necromancer. Right. Um, tier five passive activation, non-ranked. Your character must have purchased necromancer improved talent to benefit from this talent. Mm-hmm. When your character casts a conjure spell with the additional summon effect using the arcana skill. An extra creature is always summoned without your character having to spend two advantage. Ooh. Your character can still spend two advantage to summon more creatures, as usual. This mm. is this is this is tier five to me. This is undead army time. This means a guaranteed three undead creatures being summoned, minions at least, for an easy check. Wow. Um and it's a tier five talent, man. What? Um, and with multiple advantage added onto that, this could become four to five minions. Easy. And yeah, that's insanely powerful, which is why I put it at a tier five. So, mm. uh, yeah. Does it make sense, though? It's like, it's like oh, when, you, okay. when you're using it. It makes sense. Yeah. One of the things that, because I was, I was thinking about this when we were talking about uh, the improved version. Could you make it a little bit more simpler? A little bit more simpler. That sounds bad English. Um, but could you instead change it to that you only need one advantage to summon an additional extra creature? So instead of the normal cost that's of two, a, that's a, that's a fantastic idea, Huli. Hmm. I really like that idea. There you go. Because that just simplifies it. See, this is why you make the big bucks. I wouldn't go too crazy. <laughs> but yeah, that just makes it a little bit simpler, I think. But I like it. I do yeah, like it. I, I, it would have the same goal. Yeah, I do like that. I like it a lot. Mm. I like it a lot. Like it a lot. I like it a lot. Because <laughs> God, can you imagine rolling five advantages though? It's like <laughs> that's my, I think that's my worry. <laughs> I mean, because at that point, with your modification, that would actually be more minions than if you yes, actually just rolled. That is true. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I don't know, Huli. I don't know, Huli. Maybe, maybe, maybe we second guess that. Uh, okay, cause, okay so, so realistically, okay, so let, let's, let's talk this through. Right. You, with, with improved Necromancer, hmm. for an easy check, you're going to get two minions guaranteed. Right. Okay. Mm-hmm. With Supreme Necromancer, as I've written it, Easy check. Three minions guaranteed. Hmm. Now, if I rolled four advantage, that becomes five minions. It does. With your rewrite, I would get two for free plus four more. No, I'm one not advantage a, piece. No, I'm actually saying that you don't get the free one. That well, you no, I get, only... I, no, 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 no. That's not what I'm saying. I get the free one for just using additional for using uh, additional summon. Right. Okay. So two, two. Okay. So right. your proposal, I would get two. 
Mm-hmm. Okay. From mm-hmm. the easy check. Yep. And then from for four advantage, mm-hmm. I would get four more, which would be a little army of six as opposed to the five from previous. Mm-hmm. So your your method is easier, but it's actually more powerful. Mm. Interesting. Potentially. Potentially. I don't know. Look, either way, either way, Gamer Nation, um, all of these horrifically, at least especially the last one, probably highly unbalanced talents, um, really need to be play tested, guys. Uh, yes. We have not gotten these on the table at all. Um, they're going to be in the show notes documents. So get them on the table. Play with them. Let us know what you guys mm. think. Um, I love getting your feedback on our design stuff here on the show. Um, yep. It really it really does help things. Yeah. Agreed. Well, that was a lot of fun. Dude. <laughs> I'm playing necromancer now. <laughs> no, so like, I love conjure so much. <laughs> I love con- I love conjure so much. Um, I will say audible on the show notes. Going back to the conjure power itself, you do have to be prepared, and it's the worst when you're talking about necromancy and additional summon. Yeah, yeah. you're gonna add an extra roll to adjudicate to the round minimum. Yep. Okay. Mm-hmm you possibly could be adding two or three rolls to the round mm-hmm. potentially with additional summon. So just take that into account, GM, just mm-hmm. take it into account. And if you have a neophyte player, I would not encourage, especially someone who's not familiar with magic at all. I would mm-hmm. not encourage them to become a summoner. <laughs> <laughs> it is almost an advanced level of, of magic play really, isn't it? The old yeah, conjure yeah. spell. It's, I mean, yeah, it's. I mean, you're you're managing multiple NPCs. They all act on initiative <laughs> right after yours. It's it's mm-hmm. it's, it's tough. It's tough. It's rough. It's tough and rough. Mm-hmm. Although I'm sure that it speeds up combat to the point that um, you know you're <laughs> that it's going to be over in less than three rounds. Um, so, yeah, you so. never know. <laughs> Summon a few panthers. Hello. Anyway. Hello. <laughs> All right. Well, Chris, after all of that, I think it's time to pound things out as we move under the hammer. What do you think, sir? Clang, clang, baby, clang, clang. (laughs) Under the hammer. And welcome to Under the Hammer, the segment where we answer your games and rules questions about the Genesis RPG as it impacts both rules, content creation, and play. And we've got more great listener questions this week. Of course, if you would like to get your questions to run to the top of the queue, just visit patreon.com forward slash Forge Genesis and become a tier two Patreon supporter today. All right, Chris, bring us our first question, sir. This comes in uh, from Alex via our Forge feedback form. Mm. It says, first off, I'm glad to see the podcast is back. Yeah, we, we are too, pal. We are. Um, I just started binging all the episodes a few weeks ago along my commute, and I was shocked and pleased to see a brand new alert. I'm tinkering with a project, maybe one day for the Foundry. So today, I'd like to ask a question I hear glossed over a lot. Are there any guidelines or rules of thumb for creating your own career skill list? I've heard everything from allow your players to pick any eight skills, and here's my reverse engineered career skill template based on the core rulebook. Includes zero to two knowledge skills, zero to two social skills, and so on. I'm curious about both your thoughts on it. What a great mm. question! Mm, it is, and um, thanks for the for the um, for listing and binging 
That's a lot of listing. <laughs> Let me tell you. I don't know what your commute's like, but it'd have to be hours. Um, okay, so there's a couple of ways of going about doing this, and I, I, I'm going to take a page out of Keith Kappel, uh, his book here a bit, um, because he talks about this all the time. I think that um, one to two knowledge skills, one to two social skills, um, and one to two combat skills, um, then fleshing it out with the theme that you're going for is the best way to go about doing that. You don't have to include combat skills, although it's, you know, it depends. It's going to be always dependent on the theme. So if you've got a nurse for example, or a doctor, chances are you're not going to have any combat skills there. You might have brawl if you want to be putting them in the circumstance where they have to hold people down to inject them with whatever, sure. But you're probably not going to use any of the melee or or the range skills. Um, for your knowledge skills, though, they would probably have more. They would, you know, have more in education have more in xenology, if, if that's the sort of thing. Um, and their social skills, well, depends on their bedside manner, I guess. Um, so that's what you'd be looking at. But you'd also be looking at, you know, things like depending on what sort of a doctor they are, whether that be a survival because they're out in the field, like a field medic. But if it's someone who's more sort of in your hospital, you're going to be looking at things which are more in the realm of maybe a streetwise or something like that. But I think ultimately it depends on theme. Yes, there are some people out there who basically say that we don't need careers at all, just basically remove it. I think that careers effectively tailor your character to a theme. And that's really important. What's your thoughts, Chris? Genesis is a very free-form system. Hmm. There are some structures around it that I think are meaningful mechanically. I do happen to believe career skill lists are one of them. Hmm. Um, mostly because it prevents a player from just super min-maxing. Hmm. Um, I have created a fair bit of careers. And my process is a little different. Um, first of all, everything Holly said, I agree with, I think with very few exceptions, you should have at least one knowledge skill for a career hmm. that represents them. Um, combat skills, totally optional. So, okay. I typically categorize a career into a few different categories. Is it, is, is it a combat, a combative career? Okay. Is that, is that its focus? Is it a skillful career? Okay. Is that its focus? Is it a social career? Or is it a scholarly or intellectual career? Okay. Hmm. If it's scholarly or intellectual, they need to have knowledge skills at the wazoo. That should be the <laughs> primary. If it's a social career, they should have a minimum of two, typically three social skills. Um, eh, more so two, actually. Um, depends on what they are. If it's a combat-focused career, they should have two to three combat skills. Uh, two being the average. But where I typically start out is, to Huli's point, what is the theme of the career? What's it guiding you towards? Before you think about any of that, think about typically two skills that epitomize this career. Hmm. Is, it, is, it, is it a technician? Okay, great. Mechanics, computers. Hmm. Those would be the two most important skills for the career. 
Is it a drop trooper? Okay. Ranged heavy. Resilience. Okay. <laughs> um, is it a rogue? A thief? Okay. Skullduggery. Stealth. All right. Is it a druid? Primal. Survival. Okay. Mm. Come up with two skills that really define the career. Like, like, like those two principal skills, sometimes three. Okay. But, mm-hmm. but just a handful of skills that principally define it. Then start building off to who said, what other common skills do you think they might use um, in the, in their day to day? But here's the trick. You should always play against expectation with at least one, preferably two skill choices. Mm-hmm. And when I say expectation, I'm talking specifically about characteristic usage. So, for example, I love the idea of giving my technicians brawl. <laughs> All right. Yep. These are not these are not brawn focused characters in any way, shape, or form. Mm. But they're rough and tumble. They're mechanics. They're grease monkeys. <laughs> okay. And you can provide a lot of benefit to your players by giving them that career skill that's easier to take ranks in where they can offset a shitty characteristic like brawn with ranks in an appropriate skill. Yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, another, another classic example of this is um, giving where, where, where it again plays against characteristic expectation, but it is very fitting for theme is giving coercion to soldiery or martially care, martial based mm-hmm. characters. Yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. It's like, these guys typically are not going to have high willpower. Like maybe average, but not super high. But <laughs> hey, g- give them coercion, right? It's fitting, and and thematically they can play against it. Yeah. Um, mm. I mean, yeah, yeah. Um, I I really like the idea of brawl for a doctor as well. Mm. Um, under the justification that you understand anatomy, I really like that. Mm-hmm. But yeah, start like that's how I do it. Start with those those handful, two maybe three skills that are just the core of what this career does yep. start there. And then you start branching off and trailing, try to include a knowledge skill, try maybe a combat skill. Maybe if they're a skillful class, one combat skill, if they're a martial career, two to three and, and then try to have at least one skill that plays against characteristic expectation as well. Maybe mm. two skills, mm. be broad, diversify. That's my advice. Yeah. Good answer. Well, hopefully that answered the question, Alex. Um, so our next question comes from Brian Gresham, who asks also via our uh, Forge feedback form. Good afternoon. Hello there. I've been enjoying <laughs> I've been enjoying your podcast ever since discovering it and have listened to many episodes more than once. What I need help with is the following. Firstly, thanks for listening. Um, I am currently building my own setting set in a dark clock punk, that's cool, uh, fairy tale world. I have some ideas that I have never seen before that I have been developing over the last two and a half years, but only on my own and my local playgroup. To get this content to others, how do you put your content into a format to make it available to the masses for playtesting? This is an awesome question. 
can I just say? And it's and it's not something that gets asked very often. And it's it's, very it's, cool. it's it's a fantastic question. Um, I have I have thoughts if you, if I may. You um, go right ahead, and and I'll follow through with my thoughts. Um, having having done this um, myself, I have a problem, Brian. And it is a problem that I actually have at work. And it creeps into my content for Genesis as well. And that problem is, I don't like to put stuff into people's hands unless it looks like it's a publishable product. Mm -hmm. That's a problem. (laughs) That is a problem. (laughs) That that is a, a problem I'm still consciously getting better at and working to overcome that is a massive waste of your time for early play testing. If you've ever taken part in formal play testing for <laughs> once upon a time, FFG. Okay. And, <laughs> and, and, and now for edge, I've been a part of, I've been a part of wizards play testing groups as well. Yep. Wizard wizards has a big enough staff where if they give you play testing stuff, if it's like, if it's like beta play testing, which is what they're doing now for, you know, D and D whatever they're going to call mm. it, mm. it. It, it, it doesn't look, crappy it looks pretty polished it's not like oh wow this is book quality but it looks formatted and things like that yeah honestly man with ffg and edge like and hula you know this too we haven't even seen that <laughs> and you and you don't need that i mean dude you do not need that so let, let's talk i think the question has two parts the first is format the second is how to actually get it out there hmm. formatting it just needs to be a text word doc man you do not need to go more complicated than this Mm-mm. lay it out in a text-based word doc that's all you need that's all you should do. As mm. for how to get how to get the play out there beyond local play groups, social media is your friend. I would tell you to take to Twitter, but I'm not going to tell anyone to take to Twitter right now. <laughs> uh, right. <laughs> Moving along from that topic. <laughs> Moving along from that topic. Um, if you're on Facebook, take to Facebook. If you're on Discord, which is also phenomenal and better, get to Discord. There is a phenomenal Genesis community, the Genesis role-playing game community, Genesis RPG community, moderated by some amazing people, including the aforementioned Scott Scott Zumwalt, uh, who wrote Awakened Age. That community is the most prolific Genesis community in existence right now. Mm. Tremendous amount of members. Either message one of the admins or just post it up and saying, hey, would it be okay if I posted an open call for playtesters here? All right. I I know those guys, Huli, you know those guys. Mm. They're not going to have a problem with that. Okay. No, not at all. In fact, in <laughs> fact, they're going to freaking love it, right? Um because that's that's one of the beauties of that particular community is mm. is that's why it exists, okay? So, you post an open call and you start collecting people, rando people, okay? People you don't know, all right? You will get responses, mm. all right? It will happen. You collect them all. Then you you make yourself friends with these people, either on Discord or on Facebook. And if it's on Facebook, you create an entirely new Facebook group for your playtest. If it's on Discord, you create an entirely new server for your playtest. Yeah. Okay? Mm-hmm. Then you take these new friends you have just made and you put them in that group or on that server. You use that as the place to disseminate information, collect feedback, Okay. Can you do this via email? Yeah. Do you want to do it via email? No. no you do not. Okay. 
both Discord and Facebook groups basically give you a searchable historical wiki where all this information is gathered. And the best part is everyone else can see it. I don't know why people have a problem with this. It is a beautiful thing when other playtesters see different playtesters' feedback. It makes them rethink things. It makes them mm. go back and reconsider things. It makes them go, oh, yeah, I noticed that too. I forgot to put that in my document. This is a big problem. And if you're yeah. lucky, they'll do it in a high-pitched voice just like this. Um, <laughs> like, like, <laughs> um, and, and you, so honestly, like, post up your playtest stuff on Google Drive, okay? And you only mm. give these specific people access to it, all right? And that's how you can put it out there and collect feedback. Yeah. Depending on how paranoid you are, and you really don't need to be, uh, this is a pretty great community we have. But if you wish, it may be worth your while to create a non-disclosure agreement. You may find free templates online. Mm -hmm. And have your testers digitally sign a non-disclosure agreement before you provide them with these materials. Okay. Mm -hmm. Um, that's what the big boys do for obvious reasons. <laughs> um, but you your mileage may vary. Um, and that's, that's how I've publicly play tested stuff in the past, man. Mm. Um, and you know, again, there's no community for playtest calls. that's going to compare to the, the Genesis RPG community. Um, you dude, speaking for D20 radio, you can also go to D20 radios, uh, Facebook group or discord. You can post your calls there. Uh, a little bit of a smaller audience, but but I guarantee you, you will also get some dedicated people there as well. Mm -hmm. um, and like, dude, that that's that's my recommendation. Don't gussy it up. Put it in a Word doc and use social media to get the message out, and then actually disseminate and collect feedback. Mm -hmm. There, one hundred percent. Well, one hundred percent agree with everything he said. But I am going to add a couple of things. One thing is, is that if you are going to do it in some sort of a Word document, that's great. Most of the playtesting that is done through Edge and FFG before it is all done in Word documents. Um, or they're documents that were in Word and they've been converted over to PDF. If, again, you're the paranoid and don't want people to be copy-pasting stuff. But you want to make it as easy as possible for people to have access to it. Um, one of the key things that I've found when doing some of the stuff, because I'm currently in the middle of doing a huge document in relation to uh, Encounter Zones, is that you want to make, uh, you want to use Word to its fullest to create a, what's it called? Basically, it's at the, it's on the left hand side and allows you to use headings and stuff like that. So that you can see at a pinch, almost like an index of where you're going. So in chapter form, it just makes it easier for the playtesters because you want to make it as easy as possible yeah. for them to have as much access to the document and as quick yeah. access to the document, especially if they're doing everything either on their phones or a tablet that they can access it very, very quickly. Yeah, you can do it in PDF. I've seen it in PDF where you got yeah. the, it, it's like it's like a table of contents on the left hand side. You can yeah. navigate around quickly. Yeah. It's super easy. The only problem that you will have by doing it in a text only document is diagrams and maps. Yes. What I would recommend is that you still do, even if it's not the final cut, even if you've sent it off to get someone to do it all fancy, um, or you do it fancy yourself, just do a rough mud map. 
um, I've done playtesting before where they had it as a separate document where they've had the map that we were going to use. That sort of thing doesn't need to be spectacular. It could just be rough notes on a paper. It can just be circles and lines in documents or whatever you want to do. But as long as they've got the idea of where it's going to be in the document as well as what it's going to look like. Because there's nothing worse than seeing diagram one placed here and you've got no context to what that diagram is going to look like. So, as I said, you can do it as rough as you want. It doesn't need to be spectacular uh, as long as you get the message across. And that's really the only two things that I'd like to add with that. So, yeah, you pretty much hit the nail on the head. I agree with everything you said as well, 100%. Hmm. The last piece of advice I would give you when it comes to playtesting is is nothing that you asked, but it's so important to me that I'm going to reiterate it for you, my good man. Hmm. Brian? I don't know you, sir. I imagine you are a very kind and open person. You're probably wonderful with animals and small children. You probably have a loving partner whom you cherish and who cherishes you. You probably spread your light to all four corners of the world and see things in a very positive way. Now, when we as creators receive any type of critical feedback, the instinct innately in the most primitive caveman parts of our brain is to either fight it or flight it. Mm -hmm. Um, Which in the case of a professional environment such as this would be ignoring it. Okay. So I tend to see a lot of um, amateur designers like us uh, when they solicit feedback and they are given it, they either argue with it or they just ignore it. Do not do this. Hmm. Whatever part of your brain you need to massage to make that easier for yourself. And really, you know, f- feedback is a gift. Critical feedback is more so. Hmm. I've talked to developers that have gotten feedback or that I've provided feedback to. And they said, well, you just didn't understand how it was designed. You're supposed to be work. I said, okay, that's great. Then you have a new piece of critical feedback. You clearly didn't explain it well enough. <laughs> hmm. Because if if you have a playtester that doesn't understand what your intent was, you need to rework it. Not necessarily the mechanic, but the messaging and the explanation. And that leads into a whole new cadre of stuff like, is it too complicated? <laughs> because you couldn't explain it simply. Yeah. So that, that that's my final thought on this, Brian, is if you've never done public playtesting feedback before, it can be very traumatizing to the uninitiated. <laughs> If you're not prepared, but, 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 but look at it as it, it, it's a gift. It's a gift. And these Mm. people care enough about what you're doing to provide you with honest, critical feedback. Take it. And dude, I have had projects that I've had in the winger for so long now, because when I went through alpha, they were destroyed, (laughs) like destroyed. And and I, I, I wasn't upset by that or anything. It's one of those things that they were so far destroyed that I was like, I have to go back to the drawing board with this. Yeah. Okay. Um I have to go back to the absolute like pre-alpha drawing board with this. And it's so great to find that out <laughs> early. Yeah. So cherish your playtest feedback. That's all I got to say. Mm. I can 100% support that. 
Um, and in a similar vein, I was very much like that with Encounter Zones. I sent it off to Keith Kappel, who I cherish for his feedback. He is always honest. He is always blunt and, but he's, a, he's nice about it. Um, tells you where it's good, tells you where it's bad. And I too have had to go and do a rewrite whole chunk because to him, it didn't make sense. And he gave me a good explanation. And you will find that as you get more and more into the playtesting development stage of varying different products is that you will have some playtesters who give you amazing, amazing feedback. Use them whenever you can. But you'll also get some um, some players, uh, some playtesters who will basically just say, oh, yeah, it's great. Because they probably just want it in so that they can get a look at a free product. And there are going to be those sort of people out there. And they're the sort of people that you just, you know, make a mental note, say, right, well, I won't be using them again. All right. Yep. So, yeah, you just got to be uh, a little bit smart about how you do it. As Chris said, take the feedback as it is. It's feedback. It's not a personal attack. It's not degrading what you've done. All that it is is just a different person's perspective on the topic that you've written about. Take that on board. Yes, you may decide to rewrite whole parts of text. You may decide to delete an entire paragraph that you've spent hours going through and you realize, you know, that doesn't do what I need it to do. You know, when I do my writing for uh, for Edge uh, and FFG before it, as far as I'm concerned, this is something, again, that I've learned from Keith Kappel, is that many words die during the making of this product. Um, that, yeah, don't be married to any of the content that's in there. Put it, put your heart and soul into it, sure. But just make sure that when you do that, that you still are more than happy to go, yeah, that can go. So, yeah. Good question. Mm, very good question. And for our last question of the night, uh, we have another one VR Forge feedback form uh, from Heptalemma. Heptalemma says, I am really enjoying the in-depth discussions of the podcast. Thank you. Um, I haven't made it all the way through the back catalog, so apologies if this question is a repeat. At the very least, it doesn't look like you've discussed it as a main topic. I'm relatively new to running Genesis. My group is currently seven sessions into a campaign set in the junk punk salvage setting from the Foundry. Oh, Jared Matthews' masterpiece. <laughs> yes, indeed. Um, it's been going great so far with one exception. As a GM, I'm struggling to find ways to spend story points. <laughs> I think about using them during combat, but just spending them to upgrade adversary attacks is problematic. Mm. The combats typically go one of two ways. Either they're just on the edge of being too deadly or they're complete walkovers. When the opposition is extremely powerful, the players so far have managed to scrape through by the skin of their teeth on the backs of some lucky rolls and occasional spends of player story points. Upgrading the adversaries further wouldn't really increase the fun level. Most of the characters are glass cannons, so if they encounter even a slightly weak, they can quickly demolish enough of the opposition to gain an overwhelming advantage. Tossing in a GM story point wouldn't really shift the balance that much. But this isn't really a question about encounter balance. I've been figuring that out iteratively. The question is about using GM-facing metacurrency, this is something I've bumped up against in other games as well. 
since I have total control over everything in the world that isn't the player characters and that isn't directly determined by the rules, I find it quite difficult to identify a small subset of the challenges I'm putting before the characters and saying that these are the ones that should require me to spend story points, particularly as I'm already introducing plenty of complications into their lives when they roll threats. I'd be great to hear your thoughts on effective use of GM story points in play. Thanks for the great podcast. Yeah, buddy. <laughs> Where do we start? Um, and I got I got the ideas, but I'll, 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 I'll go to the first. <laughs> All right, story points. As far as I'm concerned, are probably the best mechanic that this game has. I'm going to go out in the limb and say that because I love story points. Story points, I find, uh, yes, they get used in combat. Yes, there can be a bit of to and froing of, are you going to upgrade? Well, I'm going to upgrade, uh, and that sort of stuff. As far as difficulties, as far as being able to hit and things like that. But I don't get any real pleasure out of that. I get more pleasure from spending story points on doing crazy things or just changing the story. If you want to change the environment so the players um, are in uh, a valley or something like that, well, you can flip a story point and say that over in the distance there is a fire and it's screaming towards you. You know, you can change the narrative based on, you know, if you're using a map or something like that for for a world um, and that they're going through a particular section, change the narrative just by spending a story point. Um, It doesn't need to be a mechanical benefit. It can be a narrative benefit. Um, You want to have some more, you know, um, minion groups turn up. Reinforcements. Flip a story point. There's nothing wrong that's, with that. That's, that's what I was going to bring up. Now, if I can interject for a moment. Yeah, sure. Heptilemma's question, though, is, this a, is, is he kind of ended with this saying, look, I'm the GM. I, I naturally have complete control of the encounter and the story and the environment, implying that you don't need to spend story points to make those changes. You just can do that thing because you're the GM. Yeah, you can. Uh, you, you can, yeah, but you're, but it's, it's, it's like, uh, Heptilemma, I don't know if you have played the Star Wars system or if you've ever listened to my other show, The Order 66 podcast. We have a recurring piece of advice we continually give both players and GMs D B A D. <laughs> don't be a dick. Mm. Okay. Yes, you have complete control over things, but you don't want to be a dick about it. Okay. If, if, if the players are to use your example, blowing through an encounter they're washing through they're creaming the floor with these threats okay yeah you can be like oh reinforcements show up oh there's an earthquake oh the power exploded but you just come off like a dick okay (laughs) it's obvious that you're changing things on the fly not related necessarily to the threat or despairs they've rolled just because they're cakewalking the encounter (laughs) <laughs> but if you spend one of your story points to Huli's excellent point, you're not being a dick at that point. You're literally mm. giving them story points back. You're like, oh, guys, reinforcements just showed up. Flip. <laughs> OK. And yeah, you can do that narratively without having to spend a story point. But who cares? Spend a story point of your own to do that. OK. Mm. Uh, you know, like, like, yeah. So anyway, that's that's. But yeah, sorry to interject, but no, but. that's fine. But one of the to to sort of build on that, and this is gonna, I don't want this to sound degrading or, or anything like that. But monkey see, monkey do. If you've got players that aren't spending story points 
for whatever oh, reason. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Spend story points. Because if you're spending them, they're going to go, oh, can we do that? Yeah, sure. You can spend story points. If they want to, I do it all the time. It's just like, so is there a chandelier in this place? I'll point at the story points. I don't know. Is there a chandelier? And so they'll flip a story point. And so I will change the environment as we go. Oh, yes, there's a chandelier, but it's, this isn't their first rodeo. They've, they've obviously had altercations in here before. So, yes, when you swing from that chandelier, it may be upgraded the next time that you do something like that because it's a little bit loose. You know, you can build the story using the story points, hence their name. So you can do all sorts of crazy things. Uh, an example, and I'll, uh, this is actually the, uh, an example that I used in uh, my Encounter Zone book, is that um, somebody shot uh, with an arcane spell. They shot a firebolt, and they shot it into um, to some characters where uh, some NPCs, a minion group, I think it was, uh, that there was a whole heap of boxes around them as intervening terrain. Well, the attack missed, but they rolled some threat. So the threat was that suddenly some of those boxes turned to light. The following round, flip a story point, suddenly that entire area is now filled with fire because it's spread. Stuff like that. That's how the GM can spend story points to affect the narrative. And that's, I think, the key to story point expenditure. To to add to that excellent point and build off of it, GM story point expenditure should be about escalation. Yes, yes. You should ne- like like like. I, I agree with your sentiment, Heptilemma. Spending one of your own story points, a GM story point, to upgrade the attack roll of one of your threats is worthless. Okay. Yeah. But at the same token, if you have players that are cakewalking an encounter. Why aren't you spending story points to upgrade the difficulty of their attacks? Mm. Okay. Mm. That's very common and you should be doing that frequently, especially if they're if like you're around in and they're cakewalking, you should be you should be dropping those story points hard to upgrade their difficulties. Mm. Um at, you know, I mean straight up if they're if they're cakewalking. But then it it comes down to escalation. Okay, so I run I run a game for my kid and her friends. Okay. And they're, they're ages 12 to 15. Hmm. Um, and we were playing just a couple months ago and these kids, like they did great backstories. Right. And I had them get into motivations and all that. And hmm. one of them, the eldest in the group is 15. She had a whole backstory. Like these are, you know, Huli, do you remember when you're like, <laughs> All the wonderful RPG tropes of like there aren't tropes to you yet or memes because you're a kid, right? Yeah, right. With these experiences, and she was so proud. She's like, she's like, she's like, yes, my parents. Like, I was, I was kidnapped from my parents as a as a young child, and like, my quest is to go find my family again, right? And she was so proud and so excited to restore it. I'm like, cool. <laughs> so anyway. They're, they're and this is a fantasy themed setting. Um, they're 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 uh, without getting into the plot. They they've they've broken into the king's court um, during this massive ball, and they're there to assassinate 
this evil sheriff who's been terrorizing these local townspeople and doing all these tariffs and bad taxes and engaging in dark necromancy and all kinds of stuff. You know? <laughs> and uh, they, they finally get up there and they get behind him. And uh, she built a, a, a roguelike character, this, uh, this, this girl. Because, of course, it's the rogue with the tragic backstory. Right? Of course, of course. Um, <laughs> and, and so she's going to stab this guy in the back in the middle of the party. And she turns him around and she's going to stab him. At that point, I say, wait. And I flipped one of my story points. And I'm like, it's your father. <laughs> and, but the way I did it, I said, it's your father before I flipped the story point. Okay, <laughs> like just just I fully intended to, but I said it and I was reaching across the table to flip the story point. Yep. And I thought she was going to kill me. She was going to <laughs> murder me. And then I flipped the story point and that murder went down about seven notches just to rage. <laughs> OK. Because because like there's it's like it's like you it's like you alluded to. There's this sort of social contract with story points. And yes, I am the GM. I get to do what I want. I get to make things, but I don't want to be seen as a dick. And story points let me do dicky things <laughs> without being a dick. Because I'm I'm essentially doing something nice for the play. Hey, here's a story point back. Here you go. Okay. And the same way the same way you can screw with my game with these things, I can screw with my game with these things. Okay. And and you know, yeah, that's I I yeah, I, I can't I can't echo what's been said enough. Escalations, escalations, escalations. I love your example of like escalating bad results of of threat and despair. That's a phenomenal use. Of, like like oh, you started a fire, and the next turn <laughs> flip a story point. It it's now engulfed the room, and you're like like what? Like dude, yeah. So so whether it's upgrading one of their combat checks coming in, escalating our results, hmm. modifying the story in a way that doesn't seem, seem dickish. It's it's like. Escalate, 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 escalate. Yeah. I don't know. Story points basically absolve you of any responsibility. <laughs> she was so mad at me, man. She was so mad at me. She didn't talk to me after the session was done. She left. She left. I mean, I've seen her since. She's fine. But like, she was so mad. She was so mad at me. Oh, but and they see, worked for they they they'd worked for a whole. This was the culmination of a four hour session. They'd worked so hard to find their way into this place. Oh my god, it was great. <laughs> but see, that's just amazing storytelling. And yeah, you're right. It's it's the you are completely moving all responsibility onto these tokens rather than you, and <laughs> so you're completely deflecting. And that's okay. <laughs> and and on that on that on that note too, like running a game for kids this age, yeah. like like all all the tropes, all the, all the memes, all the tropes that are just memes and tropes for us at this point <laughs> in our gaming careers. Right. Like they're experiencing them for the first time. It's like I feel like I'm 12 again. I mean, like 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 I'm. I'm a little mildly disturbed by it, but I'm okay with it. My kid, my kid is literally playing a horny bar. I can't right? imagine that of Jada, but sure, let's go with it. And, and, you know, they're, and they're they're and they're like, I, dude, I'm I'm as mystified as it but with it, but as you are, right? And and like, 
you know, and and, and like, and it, it's, it's it's nothing body or anything like that. They'll, they'll hmm. she's, she's 12 so it's like she's like she's like she's like yeah i want to i want i want to make out with her you know <laughs> like that's as, that's as deep as it gets and i'm like i'm like i'm like, I'm like that's really weird i'm not gonna role play that and she's like she's like ew gross i'm like yeah you know mm. but it's yeah yeah dude it's 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 absolutely hilarious it's absolutely hilarious so so tangent, but I just I love this freaking game so much. We have we we have, we have we have the rogue with the tragic backstory. We have the horny bard. We have um, the most fascinating thing to me is one of the kids who's my my daughter's age, actually, um, very good friend. In real life, this kid is a hellcat. She's she's very athletic and she's a massive troublemaker. She is constantly, 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 constantly getting into trouble. She is she is a rule breaker. <laughs> to 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 the extreme, right? She she is she is the hellion in the party. Or not, excuse me, in real life, in in the friend group, she's the hellion. Yep. When we were making characters, and we were going through it all, and I'm 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 using uh, a lot. I, I named my careers after Dungeons and Dragons classes. Yeah, because it's sure. very familiar. It's very familiar to them, mm-hmm. even though we're playing Genesis. When it was all done, it was explained to her, and she's going through, and they're listening to their character concepts. She goes last, and she's like, "What did you make?" And she says. I've made a paladin. <laughs> and we're like, really? And she says, she says, yes. And she's got this wonderful backstory and she is the freaking nanny of the party, man. Wow. Like lawful good to an extreme, like no rule breaking. Won't let them steal. Won't let them like, it's absolutely fascinating. I, mm. I love this hobby so much. There is a complete thesis in that somewhere, I'm sure, <laughs> from a psychological perspective. <laughs> well, look, like, like, especially at that age, mm. role-playing games are about exploring power fantasies. Yeah, and true. hell, what am I? What am I saying? For us, it's about exploring power fantasies. <laughs> you know, and uh, you know, w- whenever you encounter someone who's a murder hobo in a game, mm. that's a, that's a power fantasy. They want to be able to do whatever they want to do without consequences. Yep. Okay. Right. Mm-hmm. When you look at somebody who likes to play helpful or support characters, that's mm. their power fantasy. Mm. If you and, and you know what, what does that tell me about this girl who's a notorious troublemaker? It tells me that her power fantasy is being a champion of the, doing the right thing. Mm. So there's there's hope for the now. I don't know what that tells me about my kid. <laughs> <laughs> Lock them, lock them up real quick. Let them out when yeah. they're about twenty-five. Um. <laughs> and, uh, it's all, it's all, it's all, it's all good. So, uh, but but no, I mean, yeah, that's that's the beauty of this hobby, right? So, mm, indeed. Anyway, hep dilemma. That's a really good question. I hope some of our advice uh, resonated, man. Escalation, mm. escalation. Great escalation. questions tonight. Great questions. Well, Hooli, mm. that does. Indeed, I believe, perhaps, maybe, perchance, sort of, <laughs> bring us to the end of yet another episode. It does. Already. But it's only been like three and a half hours. <laughs> I, I know. Good, good times. Good times. Good times. Um, guys, honestly- we're going to be back. We're going to be back with a new episode soon. Um, the holidays are going to make things rough as we're moving into them right now, but we'll, mm. we'll, we'll get it done. We're going to delve into the planned hot topic of social 
combat. Mm-hmm. Um, another mm-hmm. majorly requested thing from all of you. Mm-hmm. Um, and as we mentioned, we also plan to talk to the aforementioned incredible Scott Zumwalt to really dive into breaking the mold about his amazing supers rule set for Genesis Awakened Age. Mm, and we've also had some great requests for discussions on adventure design, which we hope we can tee up a special guest for. No spoilers. Um, and uh, we've also had a request to talk about character building, including um, our listeners choosing a random archetype and career from any setting and have us build our own take on that character. Oh, I love that. Can we do that? I love <laughs> <Yeah>. that. <laughs> um, and uh, so basically they'll, they'll choose the, uh, the archetype and the career from any setting, and then we build uh, a, a character based on that uh, and give our, our own take on that character, giving our opinions on why we chose certain elements for the character, why we chose certain talents and things like that. Uh, having said all of that, we're also seeking new listener requests for topics to discuss, including uh, show topics, mechanics, or supplement production like we've had a lot of tonight, which is great. Um, so how can they do that, Chris? Email us at forgegenesis at d20radio.com or post it up via one of the many social media platforms where we have a dedicated post calling for questions. Just look for the burning question mark. Or better yet, you can just find us on the social medias just by searching for at Forge Genesis, hmm. except Twitter. Do not use Twitter. <laughs> I've also been um, I've also been seeing some great conversations over on the D20 Radio Discord channel, and of course, truly dedicated conversations with our Patreons on our own very own podcast Discord server. And we would love to hear from all of you. So don't forget that you can also join the even larger discussion in the D20 Radio Facebook group where we nerds congregate to (laughs) (laughs) cross-pollinate. And something else, uh, not to forget, like or follow us on Facebook if you're a Facebook user. And please subscribe to us on YouTube as well. We post all these podcasts on YouTube. Um, it really helps us out. You guys can drop us a review so others can learn more about us. It bumps us up in the um, Also, you can visit us on our website at forgegenesis.com, where you can also find show notes for these wonderful episodes. Hmm. So. Indeed. Well, that's a wrap for us. Thank you all for listening, and we hope you will join us next time as we continue to explore the Genesis role-playing game in all its glory. I'm GM Hurley. May our triumphs be many and your despairs be few. I'm GM Chris. Wish you peace, love, and good. Thanks again for joining us. Say hi to your mum for me. And remember, the Forge Podcast helping you hone your gaming edge. The Forge and Genesis RPG Podcast is a proud member of the D20 Radio Network. For more information about the network, visit d20radio.com. The Forge is a fan-generated podcast. All of the information provided on the podcast, social media, and related website is not affiliated with Fantasy Flight Games, Edge Studios, or any of their license swords. The content of this podcast remains the property of the Forge and Genesis RPG Podcast and is intended for educational and informational purposes only. The Genesis Roleplay Game, Genesis Logo, Genesis Founding, content, and all material remain the property of Edge Studio. All products available on the Genesis Founding website remain the property of their respective companies and individuals. For more information about Forge and Genesis RPG Podcast, visit forgegenesis.com. 